Talk with Ben Tompkins. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Nobody Currently. These are the Mixtape Days. And we got a very special episode for you today. Very special guest, my very good friend, Mr. Tyler Pope, joining the show for the first time today. It's a great episode. It's a long episode, but it's a very good episode. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. I am, uh, I gotta say, I, I, I apologize because I didn't get this out sooner. This episode was actually supposed to come out last week, and I was on the road. I left my laptop charger down in Tallahassee and had to text Pope and was like, dude, you're not gonna believe this. I left my charger in Tallahassee, so I'm gonna have to push this out by a week. And it ended up being good. I, I, I definitely needed the week, you know? I, I needed the week off. And. Got to go to five new national parks. That was dope. Got to see Maddie out to Phoenix, and then she's out for the season again, and she's going to be at the Grand Canyon for a couple of months, and then she's off to Glacier National Park, which I'm probably going to get to visit her there later on in the season at some point. So I'll cross off number 31. With the addition of these last five national parks, I've now hit 30 under 30. So I hit my 26, 27, 28, 29th, and 30th national parks, which is pretty cool. We did a Big Bend National Park, spent about three days camping there. We did White Sands in New Mexico. We did Carlsbad Caverns. We did Suaro was the last one that we went to. And Guadalupe Mountains National Park was the other one. So got to knock off five. Very, very cool. Loved Big Bend. Loved Suaro. If you've been to Joshua Tree, it's kind of like that, except a lot of cactuses. It was a really good trip. It was a really good trip. So now I'm back in the studio. I'm back in the saddle. We're reshifting our focus. We've got some great things on the horizon. And we've got a great episode for you today. So it was worth the wait. You know, I apologize for not having something ready to go last week, but it was worth the wait, my friends, because let me tell you a little about my guy, Tyler Pope. Tyler Pope is an entrepreneur, he's a father, he's a football coach, a master barber, and he is the proud owner of the barbershop Fades on Fourth. I know you guys have heard me shout him out on this podcast before. This is my guy right here. He's a dear friend, and he is one of the most genuine people I know. He recently joined me in the studio to share his story of how he got started in the barber game, who his mentors were, what was it like opening up a business during the COVID-19 pandemic, literally the height of it. I mean, it was... It's a great story, man. It's a it's a it's a true story of triumph and just being a fucking all-around champion, man. That's what this guy is right here. So, there's that story. He also shares some of his most challenging and rewarding moments that he's endured throughout this journey, plus the keys to what being an effective manager and team leader is all about. A manager of people, a leader of people. He shares a lot of great stuff about that. He shares a lot of great stuff about why he's so drawn to mentoring others. What is it about helping people that you feel so much fulfillment from, you know, be it through coaching or at the shop. And then we transition into some weightier topics as they relate to race, society, culture, and microaggressions. We touch on privilege, systemic racism, infighting amongst race and class, the Black Lives Matter movement, the Rooney Rule, the nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court, how damaging and discriminatory dress codes can be to people of color, the importance of having strong allies in your own communities, 
and why local leadership and doing your part matters. This was a heavy discussion, but an enlightening and a very important discussion, and I'm very thankful for my man for not only coming and being his open and honest self, but also for teaching me a few things throughout this discussion, as well as being the role model and positive male influence he is to me and so many others. If you're in the Louisville area and you want to support Tyler and his vision, don't be shy. Drop by the shop and say, hey, Benny T sent me. I ride with Benny T. There you go. Or you can book an appointment using the Booksy app. Okay, Fades on 4th, 502. Check him out on Instagram. You can also follow Tyler at onlyonepope underscore on Instagram. And of course, please, if you enjoy today's episode, if you like this conversation, if you like any of the conversations that we've done recently, please let me know by dropping a quick rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, you can also drop a rating and a review on the Facebook page for the show at Real Talk WBennyT. Follow along on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, wherever you want to follow along. I am there either at BennyTomp18 or at Real Talk WBennyT. Very much appreciate that, my friends. And come back next Wednesday because we're going to have another episode that is an absolute banger, another inspiring story, another great guest. Real people, real stories, real talk. That's what we do, baby. And that's what you can expect out of us every single Wednesday. Except, of course, when I leave my charger in Tallahassee and I'm stuck without cell phone service in a national park. Sleeping on the ground, you know, in the desert. Then maybe we might have to catch up. But I will be back on another Wednesday. So you just gotta, you know, stay up to date. Check in with the boy. And follow along on social media and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to them. So that way you you know what's going on. You know the gist of the game we're playing over here. All right. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Tyler Pope. All right. I am joined now in the studio by my man Tyler Pope. What's yo, up? Yo, what's good, man? How you doing, bro? Good. Good to see that beautiful face across man, from the I'm studio. Man, I'm happy to see you, bro. It's, yeah, <laughs> man. We've been we've been putting this together for a minute, so I'm glad we get to get it done. We have. Yeah, I kicked it to you a while ago, and then it's always one of those things where it's an open invite. Like, if you get the invite, you yeah. know, it, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like it's there for whenever you're ready. Right. And you reach back out, and we're like, all right, I'm ready to get in here. And I man. was like, all right, bet. Let's get it. And then once you started having names on here as guests, I started to get nervous. Like, man, I can't I can't, I can't, weigh in with some of these people he's bringing <laughs> in here. This, this, this dude's getting big. So, yeah, I'm proud, I'm proud of where you're at with this as far as I'm, I'm shit. I'm glad to be here, man. I feel like. This is a big stage for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to get you in, man. You're a business owner. You own the barbershop Fades on 4th. And uh, I'm interested to get your entrepreneur journey and what you've learned about business and yeah. people and opening up a business. You opened it up right around the time that COVID was popping off too, right? Yeah, it was tough. It was uh, actually mid-pandemic. Barbershops had just opened back up for uh, maybe about... Legally two months when I had actually signed my lease for the barbershop, so it was tough, and it still is tough, but things are starting to get back rolling as far as just the industry goes overall. I mean, everybody everybody kind of took a hit through that, but the barbering industry, us being deemed non-essential, really kind of weighed heavy on the industry because unless you were like working kind of renegade, there was no chance for you to make money for almost the majority of a year. 
which a lot of people couldn't handle because there is no benefits. There's no labor union. We basically just rely on savings. And me being a young barber, like only less than five years into being a licensed barber, that was a tough deal. But just honestly blessed and highly favored. I got a good support team. Because a lot of the people that if they were going the more rogue, renegade, <laughs> I'm going to keep it open, but be careful who you tell type shit, yeah. <laughs> maybe that balances out in the money that they would have lost. But if they come in, like if whoever was making the rounds and doing the fines and handing that stuff out, if you get one of those, that almost like is it's pretty negligible, right? Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a pretty hefty fine. And I can't remember what the exact number was, but I do remember at some point thinking like, it might be kind of worth it and especially like you you know me you kind of know how i think a little bit like i'll take a gamble hustle so <laughs> yeah so I, it, it was tough and it was tough especially honestly like me i had just had a baby in december like right prior to covid starting and uh it was just the health thing like it sounded scary as hell when you hear it on the news and i mean i understand that it is real and people do pass away from it but to you know it sounded like and i'm I'm out of here. I know. You know I, don't, I don't know what could happen. Yeah. So I, I just I didn't take that shot, and I, I did shut it down for quite a while, and I was itching. I couldn't wait to get back into it, man. So that's really, honestly, bro, boredom took over when I decided to make the jump on Fades on Fourth because I was sitting around just scrolling Instagram and uh, saw my mentor, my former shop owner. He posted that the shop was for sale, so that's when I decided to make that move. That's awesome. Yeah. So you purchase it outright, and now you've got a brick and mortar barbershop, and yeah, now man. everything's falling on you, right? You're like, yeah, now I, it's like I prayed for this, and now <laughs> I've got this. And I watched a lot, man. Divine, uh, shout out to Divine Cuts, man. He showed me a lot throughout the uh, throughout my time with him, and uh, he decided to downsize because he's been he's been in it for so many years. He decided that managing people wasn't for him, but he showed me a lot about the way to do that well. He showed me a lot of things I liked, and he he kept it open for interpretation. Like I, I, he always let me ask questions and not necessarily challenge him, but he explained things like in a way that we could both get an understanding of why why business principles had to be a certain way. Because him being an older gentleman, it almost felt like he was strict on us because we were so young and stuff. But it showed me that you can't just if you want your business to be long lasting, like if you really want to make it in the marathon, you can't just be the little cool young dude that I was at the time. So I had to shape it up. So we will circle back to all that. We just jumped in right at the beginning, which is always a good thing. But yeah. let's build up to some of those things. We'll get back to some of what he taught you and some of those like specific lessons and things that you learned from him, but other mentors in your life and We'll go on a deep dive through the business and your personal journey, but let's start at the beginning of your personal journey with where you grew up. Man, I was born in small town, Lorain County, Ohio, still city. Uh, I'm, I'm originally from Elyria, but I lived in Oberlin. I lived in Lorain, uh, kind of all over that small area. The area code is 440. So you feel me? That's where my, that's where my mother was from, my father as well. And uh, that's where my grandparents were. And we moved down here almost like on some refugee stuff because, like, Ford had shut down. There was no more jobs. So our choices was, I want to say, like, Flat Rock, Michigan, someplace like that, or Louisville. My dad was like, shit, we ain't going nowhere cold. So we 
we came down here and um man we came down here we didn't know what derby was we didn't know nothing about cats cards none of that shit you feel me and i'm this little bitty kid i'm ready to start kindergarten or something we living in this little bitty apartment my dad my mom had just got married my mom was pregnant with my little sister and uh, shit just started rolling from there. We lived in this little bitty apartment. Then we got us a house uh, kind of out Westport. And I grew up out there. Um, Brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got my little sister. She's uh, six years younger than me, but that's like best friend. And it's I think it's just because she's so much like me. Like she she just do everything. I Like she I coach sports. She coach sports now. Like she... I wanted to play ball growing up, so she she picked basketball up and actually ended up being a lot better than me at basketball. She went to the number one junior college in America two years running and got a scholarship to go play um, at Missouri Western University, graduated from there and stuff, so super proud of her. That's cool. Uh, dope kid. She's uh, coaching. They're, they're on their way to Lubbock right now, so she went to the national tournament twice in junior college as a player, so now she's it's come full circle and she's there as a coach this year so wow yeah super excited for her that's coming up this week so did she win when she was a player nah man they man they made it to the semifinals i think one year we actually made the trip too that was like my my me and my fiance's first trip like out of town we went to uh we went to lubbock to go watch my sister play and uh cool, kind of random like our first like road trip was to oklahoma city and then we flew to oklahoma city and then we drove to uh lubbock texas which was a beast but <laughs> it was it was worth it it was a dope experience but um yeah just as far as growing up man we played sports uh i was i was in uh football basketball basketball was first Basketball was always my thing. Football ended up being what kind of found me. I went to Mayo High School and played for Bob Redman, who's like local legend. Yeah. And, uh, man, I played for a lot of dudes, like guys that are known around here. Like Chris Redman would come and train with us. And um, Jelly Green, if that's a that's a throwback name, if anybody. But I played with Justin Green, who is now coaching um, and, and runs a – a training program but he's a super bowl champion he played for the patriots i remember him he was a cornerback wasn't he oh uh, bro he in was, high school he was sick but he used to fuck me up in practice and then he would like help me like he would tell me like <laughs> what, what he was doing to me <laughs> and it was it was crazy bro he was hey justin was cold but like it was dudes up and down in that program like that and just like john ganey whose son Corey ganey and like now he's got a younger son named max ganey who you might hear about at mail now bro sick and like Max was like three years old when I was in high school and I remember him like throwing me the football and being like, bro, this kid is going to be the shit. <laughs> and like he just this, he's a sophomore, just got an offer from like Purdue or something like Max, he's, he's cold, bro. Yeah. Like look him up. He's really crazy. But um, got to shout out Antonio Booker, who we've had on the show as yeah, well. Book, book, oh, book. Bro, book. I'll tell you a story about book, man. Book, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Antonio Booker. Yeah, man, this dude. If you were like a scrub at practice, <laughs> would push you out of the way from the wall. And it's crazy because this dude is a doctor now. Like, bro, if you was by the water cooler, he'd be like, hurry your ass up. You don't need no water. Like, 
He's like pushing sophomores and shit out the way, so it's it's great to see the book grow up and be who he is now. Cause yeah. like, bro, he was a, he was a motherfucker in high school for yeah. real, bro. Like, but he was tough on that field though, like super tough. He was another dude like JG would would fuck me up in practice and tell me like, hey, look, you know what I'm saying? If you want to get better, this is what you need to do. Like, right. So it was it was like him and uh, Stuart Brown. A lot these and these guys are all like successful people around town. Like Stuart's an accountant. Kevin Glenn's an electrician. These are all guys that were older than me at Mail, but going to Mail High School is kind of like those people that are part of like the Trinities and the Saint X, and uh, even uh, you know the the school that wears red. It's like being a part of just this elite group where you just your network and your standard of the people that come there before you. Just those people, like even just our coaching staff, those people are decorated. They're known from generation to generation, so. You have expectations like going through that building. I think that 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 is part of what built my personality almost more than my upbringing for real. Because yeah, my parents had standards for me, but when I got when these these academic standards that my parents held for me playing sports and stuff like that growing up, like you know they always said school first. That pushed me into a direction where I ended up around a network of people that allowed me an opportunity to see what it's like to grow for real um like we was talking about booker being that that asshole in high mm-hmm. school like bro in college yeah oh, he was like oh, in yeah. college oh, too because yeah. that's where we initially <laughs> met was at thomas moore he was a junior i was a freshman and uh yeah he was still he he, he was still you know but that's best he's always in that leadership role though bro. yes yeah. i've always respected it so. i love that guy man he was i mean but that's that was something that we saw that made our program successful because, like, our group went to a state championship, uh, even though we fell short the two years prior. But that those two classes before us really kind of showed us a winning way, and that that it carried over in the real life for real. Like, yeah. books, a doctor, like my whole my whole class as well. Like, we coach ball, we um people's preachers. I'm a shop owner. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. John Giddens, he's one of the uh, one of the biggest trainers in the city as far as just like athletic training and, and uh, body sculpting and stuff like that he's uh, decorated as a bodybuilder and stuff so yeah yeah it's jg a lot. blew up yeah he did bro yeah oh yeah because you went to uk with him yeah, yeah man yeah, yeah so you seen bro he, yeah he's a muscle head now oh my god <laughs> fucking <laughs> but, black schwarzenegger over here bro, or yeah he's yeah, yeah. he's got Ronnie it going Coleman, on yeah. oh and then um kobe do you remember kobe from kobe was our roommate as well so kobe uh He's in the real estate and stuff, man. But like, man, he's got beautiful property on the waterfront, man. Like it is, is dope, and he's he's transforming that. Jermaine Bibb, Jermaine Bibb's another guy I gotta link you up with, bro. Bibb, <laughs> Bibb is uh super dope, but he does like a lot of photography and stuff for U of L, hmm. and uh, now he's got his instrument license on the pilot tip, so. He's like just a step under being like a commercial pilot, and uh, this oh, is this is a kid right at Park Duval, Louisville. You feel me? So nice. But male high school alumni as well. So I like um. It's funny you ask that about upbringing because I always talk about like I split my life into two parts. There was that growing up where you come into like where probably like right before where you met me like college. Mm-hmm where like you call yourself grown up and you're coming into this like adult so so per se like but not really because like i got all my friends that i grew up with from the neighborhood i grew up out westport and yeah i did grow up with them but as far as like becoming a grown-up it was more so those people that i went to college with or like graduated high school with for real that i started really making grown-up decisions and like 
really kind of started trimming the fat uh, more so to say like i don't you don't i don't want to talk negatively over people that i like came up with so young but you know you grow up and grow apart from people at some point I mean, sure and you're not you're not always right on top of people but it's just part of life though yeah yeah and we've been going strong 10 plus years so right about the time that we were at like chronologically in, our, in your timeline is right around that corner is when we first link up because I was at Thomas More playing ball with book and then transferred in and you were at Lindsay Wilson College transferred yeah. into UK I think we might have come in the exact same semester that spring 2012 we semester did. we were one semester and done at uh at the small school yeah yeah one season and then <laughs> yeah. that was it that was it that's cool i gave him my ride man it was cool i, I hung it all out there on the field bro. Yeah. it's over with though hey made it to that next level check that box yeah. off check that bitch out we're that's gone cool. i yeah. gave it a try man it was it was all right yeah i mean honestly probably had more fun playing flag football with the team that we assembled later on once yeah. we were at UK. Then. Yeah, flag football. Intramurals was fun. It wasn't It wasn't super strict. We didn't have to practice all week, <laughs> you know. We had the fucking squad that was, one yeah. year. We all ran together. It was you, me, and we didn't AG. Even, did we win shit? No. We didn't win nothing, did we? We <laughs> bounced motherfuckers all season long and then got to the playoffs. And then when shit started going wrong, we had people bickering and fighting. And yep. people were like, no, I'm done. Fuck this. And then it was just like, what just happened? I don't even Too know. Too many egos. We crumbled. Yeah. But we were seriously like the coldest team out. It was like the monsters out bro, there. Almost with the exception of AG, I think AG was the like maybe the only person, and maybe there there may have been like one or two other dudes. Almost every single other dude played college football somewhere. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's loaded. Yeah, we were loaded for real. Kevon, Everybody did. He was at Pikeville, and he yep. was a receiver with us. Um, dude, I'm forgetting. Giddens played. Giddens yeah, played Giddens, with us. Yeah, that Giddens year. actually played at UK. So yeah. And uh, Mike, oh, was Michael there yet? I don't even remember if Michael was there yet, cause he ended up. I think he stayed a year at uh, Lindsey Wilson after that. But he, oh yeah, cause him and Ty didn't come until after. But we we brought a whole influx of people from Lindsey Wilson. <laughs> it almost felt like we had like plotted that shit out. Like, bro, we got to get out of there. We were a college team amongst frat boys and and yeah. you know, other people. <laughs> I wish we had taken a picture of that team. Because I think we have a team. I have a team photo of a flag football, but that was like my senior year. I think. I think when we played, we were juniors or sophomores. Sophomores, I feel like. yeah. Yeah, we were sophomores, and we were in the A league, so it wasn't like we lost on some C level shit or something. But, but yeah, that was fun. Um, uh, bro, you you know you had brought up um how you had played competitively like flag football when you was in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like West Coast football is different? Hmm. There's probably more athletes. Like, I feel like just because there's more people. So yeah. I feel like just because there's more people, if you just grabbed, you know, a handful of them, off, you know, off the street or <laughs> were like, hey, we're going to have this tournament, you probably just per person have a little bit more athleticism than some of the people, at least like where we're from. Okay. But the people that ran in those leagues, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I never have tried to play flag football here locally which not saying there's not talented dudes that could burn me in a race or you yeah. know that I, I wouldn't moss on. I mean, let's be real here. I'm going <laughs> to fuck them up, okay? But it's probably better because there's just more athletes, so there's just more opportunities for somebody to be cold as fuck. Bro, and it's so weird because now that I'm starting to travel with 
707 and stuff like that and with some of my like high school club kids i'm seeing dudes from like detroit i didn't know detroit played football bro like i'm seeing kids from jersey didn't know they played football like that out there but like georgia and and stuff of course you know but you get out to these seven on seven tournaments and not to say that georgia teams don't go far in it but you can tell that they're more built around like more physical tackle box football so like their perimeter game isn't as strong as what i'm seeing from a lot of other places and a lot of like football here locally as far as the successful kids is being built off of speed and like you find a speed out there on the perimeter with the receivers and stuff so it's kind of cool because I think Louisville has an opportunity to start putting a lot of uh, a lot more prospects out there like you see in Rondell Moore and um honestly bro you go back James Quick was an NFL prospect he's like two yards and like a couple bad decisions from <laughs> being an NFL dude. Like yeah. let let's not lie about it. Like yeah. but you know, that I think that kinda started an era of like, oh shit, we're about to see like elite receivers coming out of here for real. So there's a kid um named Vinny Anthony coming out of mail. He he's going to uh Wisconsin this year, bro, and I think that's the name to really look out for. But like Isaiah Cummins He's at UK. He was a male guy, wasn't he? Yep, and yeah. he's making he was making noise in the SEC, but he man, he looked like an NFL player at his junior year, bro. Like size wise, he you could you could kind of see it sometimes, bro. Like especially yeah. the longer you you sit around ball, you can see a kid and you like man, shit. He size alone, he got it for real. But he's he's got the skill as well. It's kind of like we was talking about. um like how athletic kids are. I got a kid right now, I coach at Fairdale, bro, Jayshon Shannon. He, The way he tracks the ball downfield, you can't coach. Like, it's, it's so easy. You could throw the ball 50 yards and he could be just facing backwards and he'll, man, he'll find mm-hmm. it. And he, he actually came from Western, so we coached against him a couple years ago. And I, got, I still got this highlight in my phone, bro. I swear it was just like that Devontae Parker catch over Marcus Helm. Yeah. Bro, kneecaps up on the shoulder pads. Like, <laughs> bro, he had to jump 40. He had to jump 40 inches in the air with his pads on and came down on his feet holding the ball in the air. It was sick. But, like, I'm excited about the opportunity to coach Deshaun this year, man. I think he's going to have a special year. He's got an EKU offer. I think he'll get a couple more before the year is over with. Yeah, as we were starting to get into this, the football part of this, I wanted to make sure that we plugged up. So you're a coach at Fairdale High School. How right. long have you been doing that? Uh, so this will be my third season here at Fairdale. I started out as the receivers coach. Last year I transitioned over to running backs as I'm uh, trying to grow into being a play caller. So towards the end of the season, I kind of grew into an assistant offensive coordinator role. And this year... I don't have a position necessarily, so that is my real label is I just kind of help game plan. Nice. Um, Kind of like, I don't want to say quality control, but I make sure every group is on one accord so that we can execute game plan. And uh, I do scout offense, stuff like that. Yeah. So are you thinking that you want to continue coaching and have that lead somewhere too? Man, I just love competing. Like I love football. I and like like we was talking about. I'm washed, man. Like I can't, I can't strap cleats on. I <laughs> probably couldn't take a tackle now, but I. The, but it's my passion for the game, and um, 
I mean, shit, she went to college with me. I'm not that great of a student, so I couldn't do the college thing to where I could be a teacher. So I think this is my way to reach back and give to kids. You know, this is like uh, not necessarily charity or community service, but, you know, I do care about the younger generation. So I understand what the game of football did for me. It kept me out of a lot of trouble, kept me from making a lot of stupid decisions in life. And it taught me for it, I, I had a dad growing up, but like it taught me respect for uh, just every man. Like, you know, we kind of all bleed the same. We all bleed together. I just respect every man's hard work and and dedication that they put in. A lot of that I saw around the football field for real. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's kind of important to get your kids around the game of football, even if it's not really their thing. Let them try it out, you know, because there's a lot of lessons in life to be learned from it, just through adversity and, you know, just toughness. And, you know, even if that's not your kid's personality, it's just, like like I said, it's a lot to be learned from it, just life-wise. Now, we're both from the old school in this sense, but I think it toughens them up a little bit. You know, we talk about life lessons like you, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you'd say it toughens it up, bro. But it, it, I'm an offense dude now, but this shit is touch now. Like you can't, ain't no crackbacks, ain't no shoot. There's no blindside blocking at all. Like you have to lead with your hands now. There's no chop blocking. So like, I just mean from a sense of. You're going to strap up pads in the fucking Kentucky heat. You're going to go through the summer. You're going to get to the season. Oh, You're going to go through the practices. Like the pra- If you just had to show up and run games, that'd be fine. Oh, sweet. The, yeah. fa- the fact that you got to do five days or, you know, yeah. how many uh, days of practice and pads and People shit. don't know how hot it gets here, bro. Like, we have those days where they're like, all right, cool, you got to take this shit off. Like, it's too hot. But, man, see, and even just that part of it, the camaraderie, like, you you saying how hot it is in the summertime and, like, going through that. Bro, what, it's like, two days chilling with your homies on the side of the, on the mm-hmm. side of, like, it's finding any spot of shade and smashing some watermelon. It's just whatever it is. Like, yeah. I just love the camaraderie of being around the game for real, bro. Like, it, it's no real experience like it. It's no real experience, like, hearing that buzz of the lights on a Friday night, like, it's just something I think it's an adrenaline rush I probably could never give up you feel me like I love to coach college football and all that stuff but I think that most people don't really that's not a reality that a lot of people get to achieve for real so I think that I can make a bigger community difference with high school kids because you know you can't really cut a high school kid for real. like I got kids on my team that I know Ain't got a shot in hell worth of being no star, but they come every day. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and I understand what that shit's about. Like, it might be better here than at home. You feel me? So, yeah. It, I, I I take all of that into account. And I, I just, man, I take, I coach whoever come in front of me for real. Well, and they also might be getting something with that time with you that they're not getting other place, whether it's a big brother or it's a, a dad or, you know, just some kind of a, positive male influence on their life like you know for some people they don't really have a lot of that where they're from and to get to spend time around somebody like you who I'd say since I've known you and we got done with school have definitely chilled the fuck out (laughs) had kids become a dad (laughs) started a business started coaching now you're over here talking about the youth and everything and so it's it's totally changed um from back when we were just a couple of knuckleheads running around. Well, we around. was the youth. We we were the youth. We needed we needed somebody <laughs> like us or something for real. 
somebody needed to talk some sense into us, man. But yeah. we made it this far, so like yeah. we made it a, a long way from State Street. I tell you that. Hey. <laughs> yeah, man. Ten years, literally ten years ago. That ten was years, that was bro. ten years ago. Ten years. Every time March Madness comes around, I get to thinking like, man, somebody somewhere is tearing somebody's street up, mm-hmm. like. Makes so, you want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it, though. I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it. Like, I, <laughs> like you know how we did it the uh, Final Four night? I wouldn't have made it the championship night if we tried to do that now. I'd have messed around and be asleep. <laughs> I'd be asleep. I sleep so, like, people think I'm lying, bro. They'll call me and be like, man, yeah, let's link up. Let's go out, such and such. And, like, I'll have full outfit on and wake up, and it'll be 3 in the morning, and I'll have my hand in a bag of chips. Now, I think this is unique because most of the people that I've had on that are also went to UK and were there with us at that time. We always just talk about what it was like, but you and I were actually spending time on State Street. Oh I'm pretty sure you were there when I picked up this cone and started barking at people through Bruh. this fucking cone like a dumbass. We, <laughs> we did so much stuff. Like I remember just people being like, let's break glass. Like I remember seeing, bro, who got hit with a bottle? Somebody got DB, hit with a bottle. Derek, yeah, yeah, Bishop got yeah. hit with a bottle. Which, shout out to him, man. I Look, I talked about us going to state championship, man. We actually lost to Derek Bishop. I played Little League with Derek, so I knew him all through like middle school and stuff. But yeah, yeah man, he, fuck, he fucked us up senior year. Yeah. Yeah, sick about it. I see you got your Trinity helmet back there. <laughs> it, it brought back flashbacks. I got sick to my stomach. I got tore up. Man. Yeah, I wonder who would have said let's break glass, man. That's it must take a sicko to. to I ain't say gonna that. say. I'm, look, man. <laughs> hey, I don't even know if we clear statute of limitations yet, so I'm not gonna say who said let's break glass. But it was me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That shit was turned though. It sounded like such a good idea too. I was like, yeah, let's do that shit, man. It still let's is. Let's do man. it. If you want to go up there later, we can, <laughs> I got some glasses that we don't really use. So. We can just tear it up. Nah, bro. That shit was so fun though. And people just don't get it. Like, people don't. I think, like, I feel bad for people that skip on the college experience, bro. Because, like, for one, I can't think of any other situation where we would have met and, like, sat down and talked unless we played football together anything like that i don't i can't think of any situation that would have put us next door to each other and i'd have been like i won't talk to this dude bro he looks all right for <laughs> real that motherfucker look kind of cool so mm-hmm. i i just can't i i can't imagine people skipping that opportunity just because they maybe want to go like yeah go go get your money go work in a factory and stuff like that but I think everybody should have that college experience once. Granted, not every school wins a national championship. Right, right. But that experience alone just was totally worth the couple years of debt I put myself in. Like, fuck it. It was was worth it. For sure. Yeah. I definitely know that the people that, uh, you know, that are on the fence that that are like, I don't know if it's really for me. Like, Like, college just taught me how to, operate independently you know like you were talking about like you're you're grown but you're not really grown like that's like the first time that you're standing on your own two feet kind of out of mom and dad's house and you're with friends you're meeting people but it's not like your parents or your coaches or somebody gave you a play date like you're just meeting people that you vibe with and just kind of finding your people in your way and doing it in a place that like yeah college classes can be tough like everybody's got tough classes and it's a grind for sure but I look back and think about how much free time that I had outside of classes and homework and what what I would have been doing several years ago and it's like dude that was fucking cake I miss those days fuck so much of that time off man just like 
chilling. I'm sitting sitting in the dorm, chasing skirts. Like, <laughs> I didn't get anything done, bro. It was pitiful for real. Yo, can we talk about what we did to uh, our RA? I think statute of limitations have passed on that. Oh, my gosh, bro. Yes, man. Why? <laughs> and I can't even remember what he did to piss everybody off. But I just remember coming back to the dorm and everybody being like, look, bro, we're going to get this motherfucker. <laughs> Shit, all right, bro. Cool. I'm, at that time, I'm definitely down for whatever. So yeah, go ahead and proceed. Go, man. This dude was our RA, and just no one just liked him. It wasn't that he did like any one big thing. It was just always that he was always just trying to find people on the pettiest little infractions man, and yeah. write us up and have these like discussions. Like he's our dad, and it's like, bro, you're maybe one year older than us, <laughs> like two years older than us. Like, you walk around like he's got an imaginary cane or something. Like, listen here, kids. And it's like, bro, it's fucking Kerwin 2. We're in here trying to get wildin' out. And you're over here talking about a noise complaint or some shit. Bro, he was tripping about everything. Noise. uh, We came in, came in a little drunk. And we didn't even have to be drinking in the dorm. If you came back drunk, he was going to trip on you. Yeah, he would wait up on us like a pissed off mom or something. Yeah, oh yeah, he's just sitting in the lobby like, "Uh, where where have you guys been? What motherfucker? I've been out. I've been out (laughs) here. (laughs) Don't question me. Not in my mom's house. So... At the beginning of the semester, real quickly, we'll hit the story. At the beginning of the semester, I had bought milk, had this milk that was sitting in the mini fridge. <laughs> and, you know, milk will go bad, but if you don't, like, you know, you can you can just let it sit in there. And as long as you don't open it, you don't know like if, that it's that it's severely rotten. Yeah, you know what I mean? So that thing was sitting in the semester the entire semester from, like, January when we moved in up until this last week of finals. And it had gotten so disgusting. By the time we pulled this thing out, now we're thinking, we're going to pour this old-ass milk out on the carpet in front of his dorm room and get him back. And then there was an accumulation of things like we poured some Frank's hot sauce in it. I poured some like pouches and dip spit in it. Yes, that that was what did it for me right there. (laughs) I said, oh, these guys are on another level right here. These dudes are out of here. We filled this thing up with the most disgusting shit, and we poured it out, and no lie, it had the entire, like, as soon as, we we lived on the second floor. As soon as you walked in the first door, you could smell it coming down the hallways, all up and down. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. But I miss K2. I miss... I miss the whole Kerwin, uh, like that Kerwin blending section for real, man. That that's the good memories right there, and it's that whole section is erased over there. I know there's nothing there anymore. I miss Kaler, mm. uh, like bro, buffalo chicken sandwich from Kaler was the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the beef wraps from Ovid. What else did they have? It wasn't nothing good in commons. That shit was all nasty, but that was a good time, man. Yeah, we spent that freshman year together, and then ever since then, we just. Stay connected, stay friends. They've been locked in. Yeah. Did you did you graduate from UK or did you leave from UK? Yeah. You graduated from UK? Yeah, 15. Yeah, that's dope. You? No. Heck no. I graduated from Kentucky College of Barbering in uh, July of 2017. So it'll be five years this year. Yeah. That's kind of crazy for real to think that, um, bro, like I was not cutting hair in college. I didn't start cutting hair till maybe like my second year at home. I had bought like a little dummy pair of clippers and just started trying on myself. 
and uh, I was living in Park Duval. I worked at Teleperformance, and I used to take VTO every day, like because uh, they didn't have enough money to pay all the employees that they had, so they used to come down, and they'd be like, does anybody want to take VTO, which is voluntary time off? Yeah, get me out this motherfucker. I'll leave every day. <laughs> so I was just hanging out. Living in Park Duval, kicking it every day, drinking cheap liquor, go to sleep, go to teleperformance, just living real sleazy. And uh, my homie Chris was like, kind of like, we lived close to the barber school, so he he would come down that way because he lived in another part of town. He would come down that way, and every now and then he'd crash at our crib. And uh, one morning he was like, bro, just come up to the school with me. And I was like, hmm. All right, so I came up there and got the paperwork to sign up, and uh, shit, man, like three months later, I was registered and just on the random tip and just kind of locked in, and I think that sports nature kicked in, like that competitor is what kind of took over, like, all right, cool, I fucking suck, like, right now, this is awful, like, I definitely wouldn't, I wasn't taking no pictures of when I first started my haircuts and stuff, because that shit, I just knew it was ass, like, <laughs> I knew off tops, but it's kind of like football. You know, I started getting around people that were good, and they started telling me, like, nah, look, this is what you need to do, because I was, I was a raw slab. I didn't know anything, so mm-hmm. everybody in there kind of showed me something, and I just kind of just made it all a part of my own game, just like a sport, you know, and really got serious about it. And then, like like I said, I went to the campus barbershop and the campus barbershop was booming and bunking for a good three years and COVID hit and that's what closed that down. But I learned a whole lot as far as management and ownership and marketing. And now, you know, congratulations to divine. He's a part of the Kentucky barber board. And, you know, he's one of, I think, uh, man, I think there's only been like three black people to ever serve on the barber board. Uh, him, a uh, guy named uh, that's also my mentor, Terrence Lee, who I grew up in his barbershop. And I, I don't know the third person, but I know both of those two guys personally. So two guys that always have given me great advice and um, g- good mentorship. Yeah. And uh, just was always open to answer any questions to me, even when I was like a little big head kid in Nay's shop. Like, <laughs> I asked stupid ass questions about everything that was on his back bar and he'll answer every single one of them. But I think it was just, he might've seen a light in me or something and it paid off for real. Cause I follow those dudes footsteps. Like I hope to be as successful and as long standing as both of those guys for real, because it just kind of speaks to their character that they're still around in this game for as long as they have been. Cause people get into it and then usually stop at some point, right? Yeah, you kind of fizzle out, but they've been able to, raise kids and make a living and they got grandkids now and jay uh, divine he got grandkids and stuff mm-hmm. like that and you know they i see them run around the barbershops and stuff like that it's just cool man it's something that you can always show your kids like you put some work in and it's just concrete evidence that this is what you get back what do you think has made them different what do you think has kept them from not fizzling out same thing to keep LeBron fresh, bro. You got to treat it like a sport. You got to add something to your game every off season. So, like, if shit slow down for you a little bit, it's a reason why, bro. Pick up on what's going on around you. And I think they do a good job of staying connected to the youth and um, the people around them so they understand what the trends are. 
they understand how, you know, the way the business is going, you feel me? Like, just as far as how things have shifted to, like, appointments now and things like that. And they and Divine and them, they up on that. And they've been up on that. They've been knowing. They're not like the old school barbers where it's just you walk in, you sign the, sign the board, it's 100 walk-ins, there's people chilling in the barbershop all day. That's kind of going now. And they've always, they've always kept up with those things. They kind of... Sh- they've been showing me that that wasn't the way the game was going to stay. So like just being an innovator and uh, also just being flexible, being willing to change, just staying fresh. Like if this thing is all about your look and staying fresh, then you should be able to keep up with your thing. You feel me? Like you should be able to keep up with your market. And you shared this with me before, but I want to come back to this just so people understand where you're coming from. It kind of your origin story. You had told me that, you grew up in some barbershops and the reason that you wanted to start your barbershop was to create that place in your own community that you had growing up. Yeah. I was a young kid and even when I was done getting my hair cut and stuff like that, I had a cousin that worked in the shop and then like I mentioned Nate earlier, those guys just kind of always looked out for me and they would, uh, like my cousin just being a young dude and being just not too much older than me, he would do little cool stuff like show me his money and flex and tell me like, yeah, this is what I made from cutting the day. And, you know, like, yeah, go to school and stuff, but this is what you need to do and all that. Like he was kind of letting me know early that this is an opportunity for you too. Like this is a way out here, but I never really listened to it, honestly. Like um, I never really took it into account until I think like, I ran into him. I actually, I I came and got my hair cut by him on a break from UK. And I think that was probably what really spawned the thought, like the first ever real thought of me going to barber school was my cousin saying that. So like me growing up and then always seeing that and then him kind of just keep on pressing that button, like keep on planting that seed. Mm-hmm. It kind of dawned on me like, all right, this college shit is fun, but... I really suck at it, and I uh, don't really want to be here no more for uh rather go back home, and uh, shit, that's what I did, and it worked out just fine, honestly. Like, I should have probably listened to that young, because I got this saying that people are kind of are who they are from the beginning, and I think that my curiosity in the barbershops and, like, my curiosity in haircuts and seeing that cash flow business... Mm-hmm young and just my fascination with it so young that was me telling myself from the beginning that's where I was supposed to be but I just never listened to it but I think just for example if you a kid that like was good at stacking your change up when you was a kid you probably gonna be that old dude that got buku big water jugs in his house full of change you know what I'm saying it never it never goes away like if you just the motherfucker that just if I give you a hundred dollars you're gonna spend a hundred one dollars you just always gonna be that dude that shit if you make a thousand you're gonna spend a thousand one hundred like it's just who you are for real yeah it but you know I think I think that was something that was kind of like destiny honestly because I was always obsessed with man I can even think back to being a little kid and watching Penny Hardaway like super young kid now we thinking i'm like maybe three or four Mm -hmm. and i wanted to get my haircut like penny hardaway like was asking for that i want my haircut like that i want and that's just me knowing who i was from young i was always obsessed with that industry i believe 
let's talk about the business. Let's talk about Fades on Fourth. I so we were touching on some of your mentors and some of the things that they taught you. When did you physically open up the store and what was going through your mind when you had the keys and then you were looking at this building and you were like, this is me right here. Oh, shit, bro. So we got the keys like 1st of July. So like, okay, cool. I kind of got a backup. Jet, my oldest son, was born in December of 2019. I stopped working Thanksgiving weekend of 2019 to get ready for the baby so like december 13th jet is born i ain't been working for like three weeks baby gets here i don't work until my birthday which is in february uh the middle of february and then um a month later we get notified that we got shut down the barbershops because of covid so bam we we sitting still for what's that two, three, four months, however long that goes. And, uh, you know, I like I had said earlier that um, I was just kind of scrolling Instagram, just bored sitting in the house so many months of quarantine or whatnot. And uh, basically for me, even longer quarantine because I haven't been working since November. So now I'm sitting in the house from November to July and ain't shit shook, like ain't nothing going on. Mm-hmm. So I see that Divine is selling the shop. I'm like, man, shit. Like, I'm down to my last little bit of money in my savings because you feel me? At first, that quarantine shit was like spring break. You know, you go <laughs> buy you a bottle every day and turn up and kick it. But, you know, one week turned into two and two turned into three and then three turned into four. It was like, oh, shit, we really in this. Like, yeah. this ain't going away. This is really a thing for real. So. I got bored, bro. Like, I just didn't really know what I was doing with my time. It was, almost felt like that that after college period again. Like, oh, I don't know where I'm going, bro. And now I'm looking at a new baby, my daughter, who was at the time like four or five, like about to be five. I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, this is not good. This ain't good at all, bro. So went and grabbed the shop. And they're like, yeah, I got the keys, bro. And it is just empty building. Like, and uh, Divine, bro, he he wanted it to be, you know, U of L campus affiliated. Like, so he had it like red and blacked out and just, you know, U of L colors all up and down. And I couldn't take it, bro. I'm not, a, I love Louisville, but I'm not a U of L fan. So, bam, I hit it with the paint and, freshened it up a little bit hit it with my own little touch and i'm not really like a artsy guy like decorations and stuff ain't really my thing so like i had a small vision about what i wanted as far as like functionality mm-hmm. a lot of this shit planning wise was my my woman you feel me lauren lauren did a lot of that planning for me as far as the way it looked my friend red you can follow her on instagram her name is rosewood.lane she did the artwork for me as far as the mural. So, like, I have a skyline, like a running mural across the top of the shop, and it's probably, like, my favorite part of the shop, bro. It's uh, it's, a octo- it's octopus arms. It's the skyline, and uh, it's a lot of, like, rainbow colors, and it's just it's trippy, bro. And, it's, it, and on the other side, it says, be your own boss. 
just recently we added an addition because now uh blessed and highly favored man we got a full house i got three barbers one stylist so we got all-star lineup with me only one pope that's my barber name hey and then we got the homie Lil c uh you can follow him on instagram at will crows lens uh, he's into he's into videography and, and screenwriting and stuff like that. So his page doubles as that. And then we got Tigo from the future. You got Jay the barber. Jay, I believe his name on Instagram has two underscores. And then we got Layla, who's our stylist, and um she does braids. She specializes in natural hairstyles, and she's also a full time U of L student. So. Nice. Shout out to her being able to balance that life and finding that hustle in school. Yeah, um, for sure. But Layla, Layla's social media handle is uh, combed by Cole. So y'all check them out. You feel me? Fades on four five zero two. That's our so that's our Instagram page, and we got Facebook and you know all of that stuff. But just <laughs> come on by, man. Fourth Street. We always in there. We always kicking it. It's always good vibes. Some good music. You might see some good looking people in there. You feel me? But you know, stay away from the barbers because we all taking. I, I don't want to get nobody. <laughs> I don't want to get nobody in trouble. So ain't no ain't none of, ain't no funny business going on, y'all. It ain't none of, none of that. Yeah. It's it's straight up just good vibes, man. It's a good time in the barber shop. I love kicking it down there, man. It's I mean shit. It's like the crib, bro. Like, it's uh, man, hella kid friendly. This year we did a back to school event with the Alphas. Shout out to my homie Greg Van. He was the connect on that. He works for the DEP department down at uh, for JCPS as well. Mm. But he was the connect with his uh, fraternity, and we were able to give back some uh, charity haircuts for back to school this year. Cool. So I'm looking forward to doing that again this coming school year. And making it a little bit bigger, you feel me? And maybe incorporating some uh, radio sponsorship or some things like that. You know, just trying to see where that goes. Yeah. Because like I said, I'm always into giving back to the youth. And the way a haircut makes a man feel about himself, you feel me, is uh, something that every kid deserves to feel walking into school that first day. You feel me? So I do what I can as far as that tip. But the rest of the year, though, they got to kick that change. <laughs> Yeah, so you're growing then, because I know, I think Layla was there, and she was handling. Oh, no, so, okay, yeah, so we've transitioned since then, so last time we talked, that was a whole different style, it was a barber and a stylist, she's moved on, I think she moved on into, uh, like, maybe some management position in Ford, so she didn't have the time, okay. and uh, Layla was friends with some of our clients, and they was like, yeah, a homegirl do hair or whatever, like, you should bring her by. And I was like, yeah, whatever, like, uh, college kids don't really be like it on the hustle tip. But, like, no, this girl shows up, she works, she promotes her shit like crazy. I don't have to, like, hey, are you coming to work or anything like that? Like, Layla's in there. And she, I had to give her a key, like, bro, because <laughs> you calling me at eight in the morning on Saturday trying to get it in. I'm, I'm straight, bro. I'm in the bed. I got yeah. my kids kept me up all night. I'm through. <laughs> I'm not coming early in the morning. I can't no more. I'll be trying to some days, but boy, that's a, that's a beast for real. I've never been about the early mornings, but uh, I mean, yeah, honestly, the shop is growing a ton. Um, I'm going into my uh 
this this year will be my third year in ownership. I mean, shit, bro. I hear a lot of people in their first business don't make it past the f- the first year. So like, blessings, bro. Like, yeah. I just wanted to keep rolling. I I just wanted to keep rolling. Just trying to stay focused. Keep trying to make good decisions. Just as far as uh, marketing and just you know putting that image out there because word of mouth is huge in our industry so i never want anybody to say anything bad about myself or the shop man and being in ownership you got to recognize that just when you're out in public and stuff like you represent a whole brand of people like i represent when i step out not only do i represent myself and my family but i represent the families of the people who shop that i own you know what i'm saying so i don't ever want to go out there and do anything damaging to Chris's reputation in his family or you feel me Tigo's reputation in his family because those guys do a lot for my family so it's just that team treated like a sport environment for real like all right cool owner coach and quarterback that's fine but I'm nothing without star receiver star left tackle you feel me like we all got we all got that role and we all got to fulfill it what do you think has been the most challenging part Managing people, bro. Like, uh, you don't want to micromanage folks. And, you know, like, in our industry, we're all independent contractors and stuff like that. So, in essence, we are our own boss. Like, so, me being so young and uh, having these personal relationships with these guys and then having to kind of balance that, like, big bro manager friend you know managing all of that person in one you know what i'm saying like without feeling like i'm like trying to push these dudes around or tell them how to live but also trying to get people to understand your vision and like trying to accept that you know this thing doesn't grow if you remain stagnant like so having to push having to push other people while still maintaining your own, you know, level of basically, like, uh, aggression towards your day-to-day hustle, for real. Like, that that kind of chips away sometimes. Like, so I find myself, like, really emphasizing rest time. Like, you really can't. Like, first, bro, when I first started this shit, I'm trying to spend, like, 60 hours a week in the shop. And I'm trying to really, like be super diligent about like how the shop is run and all that shit but you know like after a while bro you kind of set your vibe people know you people know who you are and how you are and it becomes an automatic machine now it'll be times where you got to come back in and do that maintenance but at the end of the day if you build the machine correct the first way in the first place you know like it ain't gonna be it's a it's a good it's a good car, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a it's a fine vehicle. We we just coasting along. What do you think's been the most rewarding part? The growth that I'm seeing in, in the uh the young people that I I've uh shit that have chosen me to be their shop owner for real. With Chris start Chris is starting a family, you feel me? He just had a had a beautiful baby boy, Tigo's got engaged and bought a new car. Jay's new on the team, and he's just talking about how his, it's brought his joy back to barbering and the fact that Layla can, you know, 
work a, a non-wage job while you in college, you feel me, work her own hours, you know what I'm saying, kind of come and go as she please. Like, being able to provide that opportunity for people is, like, that's just love. That's love, like, knowing that I'm, like, helping, helping you know, five households type shit. What do you try to impart on them, or what are some principles that you use in the way that you go about managing people or building your team and making sure that everybody's doing all right? Bro, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You feel me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I show you whatever. Like, I do, I do, and I, I tell them this shit. Like, I do all this shit right in front of y'all. Like, I, I tell y'all the numbers straight up. Like, ain't no pulling no wool over your eyes. Nothing. Like, because I... Uh, we all, we talk about pyramid schemes sometimes, like, and I, I always tell them, like, bro, this shit a pyramid scheme, bro. Like, y'all just my first four references, but at the end of the day, bro, I'm trying to get y'all to go get y'all four references, cause all that means is that's now sixteen people or whatever. My math be fucked up, but like, there's so many people up under my belt now. Like, it's a coaching tree, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be the Nick Saban of this shit for real, like, mm-hmm. so. If I source the whole league and I build enough of a relationship to where you respect how I do business and when it's time for you to come and start yours, because at the end of the day, I gain nothing by keeping them barbers in my shop forever. You feel me? I need them to grow. So I need them to grow in their ownership. So that's why I'm so open with how a shop is ran to whoever wants to learn how to do it. Because at the end of the day, me, the way I think, uh, if you show me how to do this shit and you you give me the game, when it's time for me to really up that, like, I'm going to want you to be a part of that. So, like, uh, my hopes is that I put that type of vibe out there to where people want to go into partnership with me. And that's how we get into shit like franchising and, and things like that, just expanding the brand. But uh, I just try to push them into that ownership mind state and, like, show them, bro, you can be an owner how you want to do this shit, like. We had a dress code when I worked with Devon's shop, but I knew that I was bringing a whole bunch of young motherfuckers in here. That ain't going to work. Like, mm-hmm. And that ain't the vibe I'm setting for this shop. You feel me? It worked perfect for what Devon wanted in his. It's not me, though. Like, yeah. But everybody can do this shit their own way, and you can do it successfully, though. What does your rest of the vision look like when you think about First of all, not to understate the fact that you've opened up your first brick and mortar <laughs> location, which is amazing. That's a bucket yeah. list thing right there, man. Yeah. So major, major shout out for that. But when you start to think about a longer term or like what's the next level for your game, what do you think about when those kind of things start to come up in your mind? Uh, I'll have another location for a uh, fades. So like I got fades on fourth. Now I think fades is going to be the trademarked name as far as like branding and stuff. So I'll put a fades on Westport some, you know what I'm saying? I'll try to get closer to home. And then from there, it's, uh, all about expanding into growing a school. I think education is probably like probably really more so my passion it just like I said college didn't really necessarily work out so I think that with me already being in the barbering industry and seeing seeing the honestly the money pool that and money opportunity that a barber school would be 
and uh just knowing the joy that it gives me like knowing how many lives i can change like i could if i could really become like the source of you know the plug on the barbers for the city that would be the biggest blessing i could receive for real you'll get there yeah it'll come for sure just gotta keep working bro time and consistency mm-hmm. and you'll hit that level and that'll be dope because you'll think about how many people that you started you know like think about i always love thinking about people's acceptance speeches and when they're shouting out all those people and just think about if you do it for long enough you elevate that many people think about those moments where you're going to be one of those people that they're shouting out like man i would never got started in this if it wasn't for tyler pope man Man, that'd be sick that'd be sick bro and but that's what you would i mean once you get to that level where You've got that school or even just as you as your network continues to expand, you're going to have tons of people that are just being like, man, I could have never, ever been here talking to this about you unless it was for Pope. You know, just like you were shouting out those dudes earlier, you know, yeah. like think how many times over you'll be for that for the rest of the fucking game, man. And that's the goal, bro. Like. I always pose the question to friends just on some, like, just thinking, like, philosophical shit. Would you rather make a million dollars or make a difference in a million lives? And, like, concrete level, yeah, shit, give me the million dollars, bro, because I could probably change enough lives and be happy. Yeah, cool. But if I make a difference in a million people's lives, there's no telling what the financial return on that is, bro. Like, (laughs) you know, hopefully that somebody pays off in that. But if you change a million people's lives for the, for positive, like for the better, bro, that could go so far. Like just even as far as like, man, shit, bro, your kids might have to pay for a meal ever again in life in some city somewhere. Like, Cause you done looked out for somebody down the line. Like, ain't no telling. Like, right? Just, that shit could go a long way for real, bro. So like, I just try to, I try to just make a make a person a smile a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I could change one life every day, I think that'd be, that'd be way better than me ever hitting like a financial mark and all that. Which five years ago I wouldn't think or say anything like it, bro. But. You get older, you get more mature, bro. You start taking your lumps on the head, and shit just shit just, different. Shit matters, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I got kids. You need money to raise kids, bro. But it's the it's the the differences that you make. You know what I'm saying? There's a quote that I'm remembering. It says, "It's easy to make a buck. It's a lot harder to make a difference." That's facts. Yeah, that's facts. Money comes so easy. Yeah. We jumped ahead, so we were at UK. You didn't end up finishing your degree, and then no. what were you doing after between that and 2017? Can I be honest? Yeah. Yeah, hey, this is real talk. Come All on. right, bro, I was selling weed, bro. <laughs> I was sitting in the crib, man. I was sitting in the crib, bouncing from house to house, uh, kind of laying girl to girl, like just whatever, bro. Like I was really in... in I was lost you feel me like when people be like you in the sauce for real like I didn't know what the next day hell it was literally I wake up knock a couple bags smoke a little bit and it'd be the next 24 hours I ain't do shit from 
probably like 2015 to 2017 i didn't do anything because like i mean even from like i stopped school in 2013 maybe 14 i think the beginning of 14 i I had stopped and then uh after that just kind of would work a job for a couple months quit was doing all the little temp jobs and shit and it just went my well my tempo i'm really not uh i'm hard-headed i don't really listen I'm not uh <laughs> in the I work suppose, yeah. in the work industry, I'm not coachable, bro. Like that's just me. And I've been that. I've been that since I was a kid. I've never it's never gonna change. I'm not a hard person to work with at all, but I think some people's made more so to be in leadership and that's just that's just who I am. You feel me? Like I can definitely take I can take coaching, I can take criticism. I'm always open to other people's opinions and stuff like that, but I think I'd just rather be the driver. So, you feel me? Life just wasn't going anywhere for a while. Damn, I'm trying I'm I'm trying to count how many jobs I have worked at Steak and Shake, I worked at Charlie's, I worked at uh but I worked at this one factory. They had me throwing semi truck tires. That motherfucker probably lasted about eight hours out of a twelve hour shift. <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking at my homie Mikey, rest in peace, bro, and being like, "Hey, I'm out this motherfucker tonight, bro. Tonight." He said, "Bro, we." And he was ready to have a baby, so he was like, "Big bro, I can't. You my ride. I can't do it." And I said, "Nigga, I'm coming to pick you back up. Like, <laughs> I'm gone though. We went on break." And I said, I'll holler at you, bro. And I went and packed my shit up. And I came and picked him back up in the morning. But I couldn't do that shit. I did bakery chef. I made all the biscuits in the world for McDonald's. I did that. Damn. Teleperformance, Speedway. You can count them up, man. I had job after job, bro. And I tried, I tried like... And my, you know, that caused a lot of friction with my parents and stuff like that. And I understand why. Because, like... As a young person, I showed a lot of promise, but it was just this gap where, like, we talking about, like, okay, now I'm growing up, and I'm having to make grown-up decisions, and when you slip one time, you slip again, and you slip again. I see how people really come to, like, a real downfall. I said earlier, bro, blessed and highly favored, I was able to make it through. You feel me? Just me being in that lifestyle and even still, like, you lose people to that you feel me and you like you know one of my best friends is gone just because of lifestyle choices you feel me gangs nah shit i we we not gangs but we get money bro i i ain't no gangbanger at all i never really understood that like i can't fuck with no crips because i'm a blood uh i'd rather get money with both of y'all you feel me so and i just don't believe i got older people from my from from Ohio and stuff like that, that really is heavy into that game banging stuff and all that. I never really saw it as real here when I got here. It just it wasn't uh, what I was taught. Like the values and stuff was different, so I never got involved in gangs here. It was just strictly neighborhood get money. People in my neighborhood did wear blue. I never called myself a real crypto. Like, yeah, but it it uh, I think that is also like a driving force in like today like uh and then why i'm so big with especially like with that high school group because i started out coaching with middle school but like i'm big into like the high school kids and especially the group of kids that i coach because a lot of them do come from like west end louisville they from market they from river park they from uh park hill 
man, shit, some of these kids don't live nowhere. You feel me? Like some of these kids that I coach don't they don't live in nowhere. They got some fake fake ass address and they go there to play football basically. Um let's not say that part actually. That's that's okay. I don't bro. want anybody to like get nah, you kids good. in trouble. So. Yeah, you good. Nah, I mean shit, it's From on paper. Like a KHSA standpoint. No, nah, it's on it's on paper, but like that's that's known shit. You you homeless. You feel me? Like that's known in the paperwork type shit. They know how many homeless kids is in that school board. That's all through paperwork. Really? Yeah. They know that. Like and it ain't, you know what I'm saying? It ain't really shit the school board can do about it. But they have they have resources for these kids, but they know how many homeless kids is in the school system type shit. Mm-hmm. And they know who they are, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's, it's I see, I, I see an opportunity through football to keep kids from having that stupid-ass three-, four-year gap to where you just in limbo. And it starts earlier and earlier now with these kids because the same internet that we looking at is the same internet that they looking at. So like when they scrolling through Instagram and they see people with big bags and you know all this shit, they caught up and that's what they're chasing. Sure. So when I'm having these conversations with these 16, 15 year old kids, their aspirations is so caught up on like street fame because that's what gets the likes and shit now. Like. Everybody want to be NBA Youngboy and shit, but like, man, NBA Youngboy got a lot of death around him. Like, and NBA Youngboy would probably be somebody that would be out here dead if he wasn't on house arrest right now. Like, you talking crazy about everybody. Yeah. This shit is real. Like, this shit is not no joke. You know what I'm saying? Local rap, industry rap, that music stuff can really be poison for real. And it spills over into our kids, and they, they, when you're young and your brain's not fully developed, you have a hard time of separating reality. Like, and I think that that's what a lot of people don't get is that this shit is really real lives. Like, these rappers is actually talking about real dead people for real. It's sad. I mean, a lot of the people like we went through a wave of like 2010s rappers, where the people you know my favorite rappers are probably some of your favorite rappers too, like Ti, Wayne, Kanye, yeah. Jeezy, like Akon. Like, these are people that they were. They were more, I guess, T.I. had maybe some more, like, elements of, like, quote-unquote gangster rap. But, like, a lot of them are moguls, you know what I mean? And then the younger generation of rappers that kids are listening to now, I mean, yeah, NBA young boy. Like, <laughs> I hear Lil Dirk talking about a bunch of shit. Like, all these people. And, you know, it's funny because it's like sometimes we just don't learn these lessons. Like, to go all the way back to Biggie and Tupac. Like, people thought this is just selling records, this whole gangster rap era, and fucking Pac lost his life. And it's crazy, bro, because I don't get it. Like, I don't know why that shit don't happen in rock. You don't hear you don't hear Tim McGraw and Luke Combs talking crazy as fuck back and forth to each other. So why is it us, bro? Like, why is it everything that we get, we have to do that too? You know what I'm saying? Why I can't? I mean, and we do it with everything. Like, we can't just look at Jordan and LeBron and be like, man, these is two awesome, great. We got to make them clash and compete. It's never just straight up just appreciation for greatness in another black man. It's it's a weird part of our culture that it is in music, it's in clothes. Whatever whatever we put on becomes competition. And I, I wish that wasn't a part of our culture, but 
it's one of the things that kind of brings a thrill to rap and it, it like um once you get older like i used to love that shit like i used to love the beef records and all that like yeah talk crazy about dude yeah fuck fuck the west coast like <laughs> on i never seen nobody from the west coast fuck california yeah, but like yeah. i got out there and i was like well shit's kind of cool honestly <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. this is nice i actually like these people they're they seem kind of nice for real yeah. i like the west coast so i don't know what none of that shit's about bro like it's silly man it's silly bro like it it, and yeah it's flexing but some people really is like that though like you really and you're gonna come you're gonna talk that shit and you're gonna come across that dude that's really like that and like you know the kids like king von bro but that's that's unfortunate you you was fighting you was putting your hands on people and you came across somebody that was really like that like Mm -hmm fair or not bro we fighting it ain't no really no fair to it now at this point you done chose to live this outlaw life now live that outlaw fate yeah yeah exactly lessons gonna be learned a lot of times people don't want to put their hands up they reach for that gun that's a final decision yeah. you know it's unfortunate that was on camera though like I, that's something that uh again that kids is looking at the same internet as us so you know what i'm saying to me like ah damn another another black man shot but like these kids is looking up to king von and shit like that and they just seen that man slain in the street you know what i'm saying like it destroys value of life the way we just openly display murders online you feel me like my friend Brittany, she does a lot in the community as far as activism and stuff like that. And a long time ago, she told me, like, Tyler, stop watching them police videos and stuff like that. And, like, it does something to your psyche. And I, I after a while, I learned that it really do. Like, it, man, that should have fucked my day up. Like, if I wake up in the morning and the first thing I see is, like, Philando Castile. Like, stuff like that is sick, bro. Like, but you become desensitized to it to a point where you just don't say shit about it no more. And that's sad. Like, that's really sad that we've got to that point for real. But it's not just about police killings and none of that. Like, we doing it to each other and we watching it online and people ain't giving a fuck about it. But somebody got to. Like, somebody got to at least tell your kids. Like, man, at least tell your kids. Like, the kids that you raising, the kids that's around you. Like, hey, bro, you know what I'm saying? That's somebody's people's on the ground, bro. And you posting a picture, like. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, I think we are really desensitized to it, not only just online, but then we desensitized to a lot of shit. We desensitized to porn. Like yeah. can you open Twitter on in public right now? <laughs> are you say are you Ah, uh, dude, t- t- honestly, you talk about like bad for your psyche. I have stopped logging like I've stopped pulling Twitter up and sourcing it because there's always somebody's getting canceled, somebody's pissed off. A great thing will happen, and somehow, some way, some asshole will find a, bit, a way to be like, well, what about this? And it's just like... Bruh, and I, lo- I love Twitter, but it is like, it just shows you such a negative light of people, for real, That's man. it. It's, it's all negative. And the stuff that's positive doesn't always break through. Like, every once in a while, you see that thing that's got a bunch of retweets or something, and it's a cool video or something like that. But by and large, it's just a bunch of miserable people complaining. Yeah, yeah. I, I it's it's too much, man. No, I like the visual stuff. I like TikTok. I like Instagram. Not saying that there's not miserable people on there too, but <laughs> something about Twitter, man. And I used to love Twitter, but now I can't even I can't even I hate it. And see, we talking about we was talking about Instagram earlier in the barbershop. 
And it was weird because it was actually a girl that brought it up, but she was like, man, I can't figure out how to get like all this ass and titties off my timeline. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she was like, you know, I follow like Jada and, and like Ari, we were like, you know, rappers, girlfriends and stuff like that. And yeah, they got fake butts and all that. But that in turn turns to all the other little Instagram models or whatever they call them. And you feel me? Now your whole timeline is filled up with these like fake bodies, which, okay, for me, like I get it from a guy's standpoint. We looking at all these fake bodies and maybe maybe you start maybe getting to thinking that that's what women is supposed to look like. But me, I know damn well that like if you put a baby in a girl, shit, motherfucker ain't going to bounce back like that on the Internet. Right. What, what you looking at. Right. But for a woman. I never thought about what it do to their mindset and like hearing an actual woman's perspective on them looking at fake bodies all day really blew my mind. Cause she was like, now we think that's what our bodies are supposed to look like. So we're in the gym and we're trying to achieve this body that is enhanced. And it's just, uh, bro, it's crazy because like we're living in it. We're, it's, we're in the metaverse. Like <laughs> in real time, we're in this, this, this like alternate universe and it's kind of wild to me bro like yeah i like i whatever i'll take the og tag now bro <laughs> like yeah, yeah. in that sense yeah because well like only ogs know that like a real woman's body probably has some stretch marks especially if she's had take a baby a, give me like, give me a tiger real titty sag <laughs> let's be real about it, you know what i mean give me like, that. <laughs> it's not all silicone and fake smiles and injections and it no. does it creates that false sense of what beautiful should look like. And I want to jump back too because, so there's like a bunch of different places I want to jump back to cool. that we've just been rolling though. Earlier you talked about somebody making a comment about your sister's hair. Oh yeah. And this has been something that I've been reading, following along because recently I've seen some of my friends and some things that have gone viral talking about what it means to be quote unquote professional, but doing it through the lens of being black yeah. in terms of hair. And as a barber, you're seeing a lot of, I mean, you you know, that's, that's your business, right? Now you've got your locks that have grown out. Yeah. Flowing beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Appreciate it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of black women who have, who are leaning more into their more natural looks, right. whether that, you know, however they're deciding to style their hair, but just, and, and, the fight that I think some black people are facing when it's like, I am professional, you know, just because my hair might be this or something like it doesn't make me unprofessional because that really means like not white. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's the microaggressions. It's the, uh, what they call it, the verbiage or the, just how they term it, man. Like for years and me going to through traditional school programs and stuff like that, there's always this language in the dress code about like, uh, your hair can't be longer than two inches. Now, are we talking two inches vertical? Are we talking two inches flopping over your ears? Because my hair don't fall this way. So me, my hair standing up might be a distraction to you because you've never seen hair that stands up vertical. Mm. But, it's all about education. You know what I'm saying? Like I had middle school teachers stick rulers in my afro. Ah, uh, man, it might be time for a haircut. But the skaters got they shit over top of their eyebrows. That's two inches. I yeah. know it is. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I never knew that these microaggressions came with the whole we can't have braids, we can't have locks. 
You know what I'm saying? Like I was almost brainwashed by going through that system because I never saw anything wrong with the way they were terming it. But naturally, if my hair grows out, if I don't pick it or comb it through, if I was just to even just wash it and let it be, I'm, my hair is free form going to become dreadlocks, what they would call. That's why. I, and then like people have to also understand that even just the term dreadlock is a microaggression. You feel me? It developed from the term like uh, a lot of people would say the history of the term dreadlock comes from ancestors getting off the ships and, you know, Europeans seeing their hair and being like, that looks dreadful. But it's the dreadlock, your locks, you feel me? Your hair is, is small history of the word shit, you feel mm -hmm. me? So I just, I choose not to call them dreadlocks or to call them dreads. They're just locks. Because naturally, this is what my hair is going to do. You know, braids. And I get the colors. Like, okay, cool. We can't do colors in the hair, whatever. Like, but when you get to talking about particular styles and things like that, don't, that's a that's a microaggression. You you telling us that we don't have no chance to be in no type of leadership because my hair curls, or you feel me? Gravity. My hair defies gravity. Like, sure. That's some hating shit on the low, bro. Yeah. Like, well, it's really <laughs> okay. At the, at the the bottom line of that is just that it's not okay to be you. Yeah, like I got, man, I got, a, and, and women for years, bro, like, I, man, okay, cool. Like, I remember for years, all the girls in school, man, I, like, I thought that the black girls in school was way cuter with their hair straight, but that comes from that European influence. So, like, these girls is putting these perms in their head, uh, well, relaxers, you feel me, for, for, for black women, it'd be a relaxer, man, and straighten their hair, right? Man, they hair breaking off. They hair thin as shit. Hella dumb, short. You feel me? Dry. Yeah, yeah dry. And honestly, it's just not that good to be putting chemicals that close to your brain. But we frying ourselves to look European. Fuck that. <laughs> like that shit crazy, bro. Like it's really crazy. Yeah. And then I started seeing these girls cut their hair off. And I remember, but Henri, bro. Like I was really like an Henri ass jerk ass young kid. <laughs> Remember calling girls little bow wow and just all types of just fun, just jerk shit like just really being angry and not understanding what was what was going. It was a revolution going on, bro. Like the natural hair shit really took over like 2011 or around here, like 2011, like 2012. So like right when we was kind of getting into college, I'm starting to see all these black girls cut their hair real short. Mm -hmm. And now like look at them now, man, stupid, crazy, beautiful curly manes, like. I love like I love it now. Uh, the emphasis on like natural hair culture and how many like natural hair salons I'm starting to see pop up around the city and just even that that's be even being talked about in legislature how to handle like the natural hair industry and stuff because it's growing, man. Like and it shouldn't require as much license and things like that because you don't need as much chemical. Like it doesn't take as much chemical treatment. You can get your shampoo, you get your hair braided. It's, it's gel. Uh, it's pretty safe. You feel me? So it don't take a whole lot. Like other than the sanitation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that I think there's been more of a conversation around and more of an awareness to is just like, Hey, this isn't fair, you know, like, sorry that my hair grows different than yours <laughs> and you can't understand it, but this is just how my hair grows. And if you're telling me that that's inherently unprofessional to look a certain way, or if I don't do this or straighten it like that or style it like this, 
then that's quote unquote unprofessional. Then like, what is that really saying? And it's weird. Like, uh, even, um, like the hard shape up in the front. I've heard that President Obama did not get his hair shaped up through his presidency in the front because it's deemed as unprofessional. But if you know anything about being a black man, Ben, you got to have a crispy in the front. You, <laughs> you got to get a lineup, bro. Yeah. Like that brings the haircut together. Yeah. So it's, when I start hearing stuff like that, I'm like, man, they really trying to take away from anything that we damn near take pride in. Like, right. I get a nice shape up. I'm feeling like a million bucks. Hydra woman, like who's not? That's I'm crushing. I'm crushing the sidewalk if I get a good shape up. But yeah. when they say, you know, you can't get there, it's unprofessional. Like, man, I'd be in the office feeling like shit. Man, I'll probably be on the <sighs> hello, like uh, President Pope. Like, I'm not gonna be excited about nothing. I just can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine like the thinking when people are uh, writing these laws down because I've never been in the place of the oppressor. Like, so I don't really even understand the thinking behind stuff like that. So it like when people got to presenting that to me as like this is an issue, like the whole hair and the dress code thing like that. I felt tricked. Like I, I really felt like I had been put in a blind through going through that traditional school system because for years I had been told it was a distraction to people's education. Hmm. Which really what you meant is like shit, the more niggas we got in this motherfucker, this is probably not good for our academic standard. Yeah. Just say that. Just say that, bro. It's so much stuff in the school system. Like, uh, my mother works for the Department of Equity and um, Poverty, you feel me? So, like, the the black people at the school board, you know what I'm saying? I hear and see all of these conversations, and I pay a lot more close attention to it now because my mom works for this department. But, but it's so much shit that they pass through the school system, like, even just as far as the way they district the schools. Mm-hmm. Half of that shit set up so that they can get particular kids from certain neighborhoods to play sports at the schools with the money. Like a lot of this shit, because athletics brings in so much money, they draw from certain pockets of the city because they know that's where the athletes are coming from. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So like that's why you always hear about redistricting and stuff like that. It's not about quotas or the numbers or balance they got in the school or anything like that. It's about you know strictly a money pool and um you feel me people talk so much shit about the ncaa man that shit go on the jcps too like daily yeah you know it's funny you brought up just getting into education and then as we're getting into more elements of like race and the context of everything that we're talking about i can't remember who it was that said this to me but they were telling me that Pretty much like growing up in Louisville, if you were black and you didn't go to mail, then it was almost seen as like you were going to be a failure. Like you, you pretty much like there was a pressure to go to mail because that was like where the quote unquote, you know, and I'm and like none of these are my words. Like this yeah. is and none of this stuff is 100 <clears> percent <throat> the experience for every single person. But just having it broken down to me was that there was this assumption almost that if you were black and didn't go to mail, then like good luck. No. And that's what it is, bro. Like that's the 10%, man. And it's sad, but I honestly feel like we grow up telling our kids and like, I remember my parents telling me like, you're going to have to try twice as hard because you're black. You're going to have to try twice as hard. You're going to have to try twice as hard. And like, 
that's what drove me to okay like cool i gotta do good in school because like i noticed that once i got to like third grade fourth grade if you wasn't upholding a certain academic standard they just grouping all the bad kids together and they lumping them in the room and they throwing them some coloring books and they're like bro get out the way like we just gonna give you the teacher that we like as long as they make it through the year we and we got this classroom covered we straight they throwing you to the wolves for real and there's this whole thing that you can look up there's a movie about it it's called the public school to prison pipeline and once you get to really breaking that shit down bro that's what this shit's about you know what i'm saying they're setting up the next generation of kids to feel feel themselves you know the the next people to do that cheap labor for real because that's what's going on in penitentiaries mm-hmm. in reality like if i'm setting up the rules to the game who am i setting up the rules to the game for am i setting it up for fucking Devonte and them or am i setting it up for people that look like me you know what i'm saying and that's coming from a, a rule maker standpoint i'm not saying that it's fair but i get it you know what i'm saying he, the man with the gold makes the rules you feel me and that's that's what it's been for years and years and years and years people say 400 it's probably been longer than that yeah you know? but it's still going on and it and that's a way to do it through the school system. It's through what they call systematic racism, and the school system is the it's the easiest way to do it because they control the standard. You feel me? Like they control the standard as far as the testing, uh, as far as like what your kid is labeled as, what schools get aid. So if your school gets all free lunches, they don't get the most nutritious food. They get the bullshit. So. If your school is labeled as a school with some money, even though your kid might not got money, y'all just live in that district, your kid is going to be eating a better lunch than the kids down the street at the free lunch school. You feel me? Like, all this shit's about money, bro. They're not even going to give your kid the same nutrition. And that's all done by design, bro. Like, that's that's not an accident. You feel me? They're not grouping these people together because you only want a certain six percentage of people to be successful. So I'm only going to let this amount of people be good enough in school to go to mail. Like, I'm only going to allow this many black people in the manual. You feel me? Like, and two of them is going to be running backs. You feel me? Like, Yeah, most of them are going to be <laughs> Two of them is going to be running backs straight from the trenches. Like, yeah. and that's, that's just what it's always been. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never, ever, ever, ever send my kid to St. X. You feel me? Like. I never send my kid. They do. They do. They black graduates dirty, like dirty, bro. Honorary. They they don't do a damn thing for they black athletes that they ride the state championships and things like that. Trinity, I can't say so much about because I mean, goddamn, they got so many championships. You better do something around there. Mm-hmm. But Saint X, I can't say the same for you. Feel me? I've seen them abuse that situation a few too many times to ever let my little black boys go there. Yeah. Um, it's sad. I mean, yeah, it, it it all feels very discriminatory and it's weeding people out. You know, it's separating people. It's making people feel disenfranchised from such an early age that they don't even know what's going on. They just they just think that in, I'm doing something wrong. But, a, but they're not. In a way, I understand it, that there's got to be uh, somebody's got to be food. Like I get it as far as food chain goes. But can we have that equal playing field to where? we kind of get to choose some people to make it up too. Like, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I, like, 
it's so crazy, bro, because I listen to people debate these things and stuff like that, and there's no one answer for any situation. Like, yeah. it's so much fixing and unlearning and unfixing we would have to do. Shit, you know what I'm saying? It'd be, our time would be up by then. Like, the clock would be up for real. So it's kind of like, do we just play off in this system or do we fight back and just push our hairlines back and become gray old men that was just fussing about some shit that it's like dark bro can can we change it like i don't really know i'm just it's just this game we playing though you know what i'm saying so i just try i'm gonna try yeah. <laughs> well you have to yeah I mean, you have to or you know but yeah i mean as far as i'd say as far as black people have come in america there's still a lot of work to be done you know and Think about the fact that like the sixties really weren't that long ago. Like we but know people, people, people who were alive, alive yeah. in the sixties. Yeah. So and we <laughs> Shit, Mitch McConnell's ass was making laws back then, bro. He still is too, oh, ain't damn, he? That motherfucker needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a vampire guy. <laughs> <laughs> but in our lifetime, you know, in our lifetime, are we gonna see these things continue to get better? I hope we do. because at some point, I don't know, man. It's just like I think we went through we went through a lot in this country in terms of after slavery ended and then how black people were treated coming through most of the, the 20th century. Now that we're moving forward into 2022 and beyond, we live in a world post Brianna, post George Floyd. A lot of these conversations, even just the hair thing, you know, like a lot of these conversations are being had now, which is good. And it's still is like pushing forward for incremental progress. Yeah. But it, it is a part of me feels and I'm white, you know, so so it's like, you know, it's like I feel exhausted. I feel exhausted just trying to have these conversations with other motherfuckers that don't get it. You know, and I think about the fact that like I can <laughs> say that with such privilege, but like, you know, you're, you're living that every day, but I'm exhausted for you. You know, I no, but it's funny though. Cause I got a couple of friends. It's really like, bro, I'll be talking to people that don't get it. Like you. And I got an, I got another one, a particular friend that comes to mind and they just be like, bro, I have conversations with these people all the time that just don't get it. Well, and because it's like, people have to understand that the system that they grew up in is inherently discriminatory. And you can, even make the argument, I know a lot of people would make the argument that it is inherently racist. And when you think about, you know, recently I was reading about the GI Bill. And when people came back from World War II, like we talk about inequality in America, people came back from World War II and white people prop up the GI Bill as being great because it let so many people go back to, like, go to college, make college affordable. It gave them really low mortgage benefits for buying houses, and it really started to put them in this white middle class and white upper class. But those things, those social services, the GI Bill, it wasn't intended for black people or people of color. So all of those things that white people got, it was almost like, you know, in the game board of life, when you can have like, you can go this way, you can go that way. And it's like white people got to go on this one path that led them to all this other shit. And then people of color in America were forced to go this other route. And it's like now so much time has passed between 
the physical civil rights movement and mm. like the demonstrations now more demonstrations are being had but it's more almost on, a, on an intellectual level but we're still it's almost like we're still fighting through a lot of this stuff and asking for the most basic of things to be acknowledged and that's what's sad is like uh basic human rights bro like and to have to even just explain that part, like, or even the whole conversation or people, people's reasoning for why, like, Black Lives Matter is a bad thing to say was, like, outrageous to me. Like, ain't nobody even say shit about white people in that. It was Black Lives Matter, too. Also, you know what I'm saying? It's not saying it matters over anything right. more or anything else. But, at, man, just that phrase alone caused so much friction to the point where they labeled them folks as a terrorist group. And don't nobody, man, I don't know, man, like, maybe it's the old people. Like, maybe it's the people, maybe our generation hasn't made it into lawmaking status and stuff yet. So, like, I've got more hope for that because I'm starting to see people that, like, I went to UK with talking about, like, yeah, I'm fucking running for Senate next year and shit like that. And I'm yeah. kind of like, damn, I used to get drunk and shit with you. Like, <laughs> I'll vote for you. Like, I, I I remember you. You was all right type shit. Like, yeah. so it, I think it's more hope as we get started getting people like Mitch McConnell up out of there and stuff like that. But, I, man, I, I, I know I'm sheltered in the fact that I grew up in Louisville. So it's allies here. You know what I'm saying? It's, you You've been around black people and stuff like that so you kind of know not what it's like but like you know black people at least like and you can have conversations with black people not from a first-hand experience that i've lived it but i've talked to an, enough people and have been even a part of situations where i'm with a black friend and shit goes down <laughs> oh and it's shit, like, yeah so i'm feeling that same thing just from a which, different which is crazy but on some metaverse shit i think i'm gonna try that out one time i think i'm gonna be the white guy in the passenger seat when we get pulled over with a black friend i want to see what it's like because like i'd be scared to death bro like i'd i want to know like damn bro like are you i'd be in that motherfucker like are you okay like are you okay because i've i've never been in the other side where i'm not nervous but i know my friend is in here scared to death for real so like yeah i just wonder what that shit is like on the other side sometimes it's interesting to have the conversation the other way too for real yeah yeah there was a time where we were underage we were drinking and i was with ag and a couple of cops pulled up they had nothing better to do just like oldham county <laughs> fucking police officers and there's a group full of underage white kids and aaron pretty much yeah and the fact that it was uh, it was a house party so there's no parents but they pretty much like i think like two or three of them had showed up and they gave special attention and pretty much like took Aaron off separate from everybody else. And the guy was like acting like questioning him way more than other people. And it's just like, well, why are you doing that? You know, and in other instances where it I, I don't know, I don't know specifically if I've ever been stopped with a black friend in the car. But definitely times where, matter of fact, so we were, when we were down, we were picking up weed. We were picking up <laughs> weed downtown. And Fuck. there were a couple of cops that stopped us because we were in the Shepherd Square projects. And I was like maybe 17 or 18, driving an Audi. I've got, I think, 
I, I'm not even going to place anybody that was, I think it was, you know what? It was me, my other friend Brad, he's white, and our friend Jackie, he's black. And Jackie hopped in. We were going to pick him up, bring him back out. We were going to smoke, but Jackie had the sack on him. And when we stopped and we were pulled up, we were sitting up in front of his house and out of nowhere, cops just show up and it's like, yes, okay, we did have weed. We were picking up weed. Okay, but the fact is they straight up went, what the fuck are you two white boys in an Audi oh, yeah, doing sure. down here? And we were like, we are picking up our friend. Fuck you. We're taking him back. He's coming to spend the night with us. And that was like, we were telling the truth, but we were like, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. fuck you, man. And it was, and it wasn't just, and that's the thing is like, it wasn't just that one cop had to stop and do that. He called him back up. There were fucking three cars there by the time that this whole thing was done. Yeah. And Brad and I were able to sit in the car. They made Jackie get out. They fucking frisked him and patted him down. He had tossed the weed underneath the car, so they didn't even know what oh, that was. Wow. So we ended up grabbing that and bringing that back to the house and smoke it. Fucking dumbass. Cops, man. <laughs> but the fact is, like, you know, I got to sit in the car. Like, I didn't have to get out. I didn't get patted down. Damn, like, that's and, crazy. And I and I think the most, like, the most exhausting, the most hurtful, the most disheartening thing about having these conversations with people who who don't get it is that they're not able to be like, oh, there's something inherently wrong or discriminatory or racist based on the way that that person was treated based off of me and my my other friend. You know what yeah. I mean? Like two friends in the car, one friend got <laughs> pulled out and they were fucking, again, like separated him, like talking to him as if he was like, what are you doing? You know, like he, he, he thought we were like fucking... I don't know, like kingpins or something. Shit, I'm like, what know. the fuck? Yeah, plus y'all came Audi too, so they was probably like, look, either this is they plug or he's serving them. Yeah, like, yeah. They thought it was something serious going on, though, and yeah. it wasn't nothing. It was they crazy. But but you know, so th those are like two examples of me having that experience because it. Yeah, I'm. Maybe it's wrong for me to say this, but I am getting that black experience even though i'm white i'm feeling that i'm being yeah, yeah. treated with that same hostility and that questioning and like who do you know here where are you going and on the other <laughs> end of it you're like dude i'm literally doing nothing wrong like why are you fucking questioning yeah, me why you even want to know that and so when trayvon happens or when any of these other like high profile case happens it's like okay so now i can't be black going to the store now i can't be black going here now i can't be black doing this and I think we're still in that era right now where we're fighting through a lot of these conversations we're having, even just to be able to sit here and have this conversation, you know, like yeah. we're having conversations like this. I'm hoping it leads to change. I think term limits in government would help <laughs> because if you look at the people who are making decisions, they're all fucking half deceased. Yeah. Okay. They're all like 70 and 80 years old. Just clinging on to their money and their Man, and their power and stuff. It's crazy, bro. You shouldn't be able to make decisions now if you was making decisions about whether my granddaddy could drink out of black or white water fountain. Like, for real. If them people still around, ain't no ain't no way we still making we making good decisions for everybody. Cause America don't look like that no more. Like, there's so many Mexicans here and shit. There's Cubans all over Louisville now. Like. 
so many Africans, man. Like I, I worked at an elementary school for the first part of this year, but it was thirty-seven different languages in that school. Damn. In the elementary school, bro. Wow. Like huge. Uh, they call it ESL, huge English as second language program. But like, that's what about sixty percent of our school board consists of. You feel me? So why doesn't our leadership reflect that in any way? You know what I'm saying? But it's because of the gatekeeping. It's because of nepotism. It's because you know, like I said, he with the gold makes the rules. So, how do you feel about the NFL coaching the Rooney Rule? Okay, so bro, somebody got to explain the Rooney Rule to me. Is it is it is it literally like we have to have a certain number of black coaches, or what is it? I think so. I think it was. Ah man, fuck all that. I think <laughs> see, so. As we're talking about this, it's like okay, well, how do we change the leadership? Like you're right. Like we need to have a leadership board or government or body of people who are making decisions and having conversations that are more reflective of the people that they're actually so it's like how do you achieve that and the rooney rule i think was started to try and out of like out of a good place but basically right but basically it's failing because it's saying all right well we're just going to interview this black coach and then basically we checked off the thing for the rooney rule so it's almost like you're trying to get more people into those leadership roles, but you're also saying, all right, well, no matter what. Or it's like, you know, a lot of people had a problem when Biden was like, I'm going to make the next Supreme Court nominee a black woman. Yeah. And a lot of people on like that looked and voted a bunch of different ways were like, well, that seems kind of fucked up. Like, why not just <laughs> why not just because she's a black woman, like why do you have to say it and then be like, we're going to fill this one quotient? You know what I mean? It's funny, bro, because sometimes I feel like people, he he probably meant well, bro. But like, it also comes off as like, look at what I'm doing for you all. And we don't need a savior. Like, we just need y'all to be like, okay, equal, equal slice of pie. We don't need you to be like, here goes a hand up or a hand out or anything like that. Man, just you feel me? Come on, bro. We on the same team. Let's let's do this shit. Like shit like that. Joe Biden, cool, bro. Nice gesture, man. But yeah, whatever. Like uh, the Rooney Rule shit. You feel me? Like they probably meant well. They do. They do. It do needs to be more coaches of color and things like that. But it's you know. People gotta go through their shit Like Brian Flores and all that I don't really know His credentials before this point But I do know that he was kind of treated unfairly And hopefully what all his accusations Wasn't true But then it looked weak when you say fuck it And go and take you a job It looks, I, Man I know what's up You probably getting paid They gonna pay you to hush that off And we ain't gonna talk about that no more Like mm-hmm. And it's sad, bro, because people like that, people being weak like that, we know we don't ever get no progress. And I feel like that's a lot of times what holds black people back is that appeasement factor is that like you pay you can pay a lot of us off, you feel me? Shit. Kill our kids off in the street. As long as we get that check, we sit back quiet about that shit. You feel me? I ain't gonna go to court or none of that. Like and it's sad, bro. People scared to go toe-to-toe with that system because we lose so many times over and over. Yeah. So it's easy to just, man, Brian Flores knew he he just fucked his family out of the rest of the money he was ever going to make for his life, man. Go ahead, and, go ahead and hush up, bro. Like, And that's sad. 
Man, fuck it, my, bro. You ain't saved none of them millions you made for tricking them games off. Cause I know you, I know you lost a cup on accident, and they still paid your ass. <laughs> Feel me? Miami sucked, bro. They yeah. they was weak until the last eight games of this last season. So it ain't really. I mean, you can't really convince me, bro, that you didn't have enough money to, man, shit, fall back and fight, stand on something. And if don't none of us never stand on nothing, we just be out here falling for a whole bunch of shit, like. And it's going to keep happening over and over and over and over. And eventually, we're going to be sitting around talking upset with each other. Damn, bro, 500 years, they've been kicking our ass. Yeah, motherfucker, because you kept taking us to the boat. You kept guiding us back on the ship. You feel me? Every time we had a chance, people make decisions like that. So it's just, it's a lot of in-house battling we be doing, you feel me, that spills out into the street. But black people from that perspective have to do better if y'all listening i wonder sometimes if that's what plays into it when we talked about rappers earlier and it's that competitiveness and sometimes you get people who ascend to these levels of wealth and power and stature then it's almost like they forget about what it was like to go through that and i think sometimes people feel like like i think sometimes again all this sounds so fucked up because it's like me thinking for black people, okay? So it's perspective though. I think sometimes black people think it was so hard for me to get here. It's doggy dog, fuck all of you, nobody helped me, and now that I got here, it's like they forgot and sometimes they don't give back and reach back out. It's just like, you know what? No, fuck y'all. Like if I can make it, y'all can make it. And I had to go through the same shit that y'all did and it's every man for himself. And that's why you see these rappers and these athletes beefing. It's because it's like the system pits every single person against each other. And I've heard I've heard stories about like fair skinned businessmen that kind of got that same attitude. Like it's people that have that come up story. I think that's a class thing though. Like uh, a lot, it that's a that's a choice that you make if you come from a nothing type situation and come up you can choose to be that way but you know if you actually a good-hearted person and you want to put out some good positive energy out in the in the world you're not going to do you're not going to play it that way you know what i'm saying if you're going to come up you're going to be more of a uh, warren buffett donate all your money away type person than you would be a whole ah y'all got the same 24 hours as me type person because even if you just more and so into like giving game, like you feel me, that's at least something, you know, like Jay Z makes some shit personal decisions, like how as far as he treats the people around him based on based on their actions most of the time. A lot of that stuff is it's debatable but it's uh like kinda justified. But uh he gives a lot of game. If you just sit there and listen to a couple of Jay-Z interviews, he gives you a, a very interesting perspective on somebody that is successful. And there's books out, and he's open to interviews and things like that. So, you know, it's guys like that that have had the opportunity to go through a couple of generations of rap, and, you know, they've seen the growth. So I don't think it's over for a dude like Youngboy or a dude like Dirk, because Dirk is a smart dude. Like, if you listen to Dirk, Dirk's interviews and... I mean, just to think of the real street shit that Dirk made it through, he's got to be some kind of polished. But, I mean, you feel me? We we was stupid-ass break-glass college kids, bro. So, like, of course. maybe this is his, his stupid-ass break-glass college face. Like, yeah. everybody has to—Wayne was a, a jackass at one point. Yeah. You feel me? Like, 
but he grew like and you can kind of hear that in his interviews he still you, drugs kind of fried his brain and shit like that but it is what it is like jay-z stabbed his brother when he was young you feel me like these rappers grow up snoop dogg was a gangster like made cripping international you feel me but look at snoop now bro the nigga was smoking on the biggest stage in <laughs> stages like <laughs> but he's in cripping like cripping on stage and smoking weed in the super bowl halftime you feel me like yeah. so you know people could sit back and be like ah america's fucked up for black people and all this shit but like i do see that shit too though and i'm kind of like man it's a alright little thrill ride for real, bro. Cause shit, at least I ain't in Ukraine or nothing like that right now. I, yeah. I couldn't do that shit. I take this every day, bro. Like people, people make being a black person in America sound so sad, like a Tyler Perry movie sometimes, and it's not like it, bro. It'd be old fucked up days too. But like being a regular middle class like white dude probably ain't great every day either bro. <laughs> like yeah. that shit probably it's part of it bro it's part of the game we all got our struggles you know what i'm saying it's just for some reason people like to emphasize ours and make ours like ultra extra sad yeah it's part of it bro we can make it everybody can make it through for real it's not fair it's not just but man shit like i said bro do something about it or do something about it bro like this ain't no spectator sport like you we can all get involved whether it be protesting out in the street whether it be giving back to kids that look like you in the community whether it be giving back to and educating people around you that don't look like you you know what i'm saying everybody could have their peace in it that they feel comfortable with everybody got a role in this team you feel me and like I think just growing up in a sports environment, that's the way I kind of view everything. Like, we are this, uh, okay, cool, we playing the game of life. Yeah. Well, it ain't no separate teams out here if we all want this shit to be fair, bro, because we all playing the same game. At the end of the day, we all just trying to get to the end of the board. Mm -hmm. So what do I get out of beating you? You feel me? Like, if anything, I should teach you, like, each one, teach one type thing. Let's iron sharpen iron, and we can all figure out how to make this shit a little better because – you having money in your pocket, all that's going to do is make it, make you able to spend with my companies, you feel me? And all it do is the dollar bounce back and forth, you know what I'm saying? But if I make all the money and hog it up for me and my people, then I'm just going to, what, kill all your people off? Well, shit, that just killed off 70% of my income, you know what I'm saying? That's silly, bro. I don't understand, I don't understand what we're doing out here to where everything has to be so competitive or where we have to act like there's not going to be enough for me and my people. Maybe it's the whole fear of, like, global warming, environmental shit, like that resources is going to run out. But everything else advances in life, bro. So why can't we advance ener energy resources to where it'll be enough, you know what I'm saying? Why can't we, you know, advance what current even currency you feel me like why are we tripping so much about ah fuck it's a coin shortage man fuck that shit let's figure out something else that's work man shit these motherfucking phone cash let's, out and Venmo. man it's so it's so goddamn it's so many iphones let's make that the currency like For real. <laughs> if you got an iphone 3 trade that bitch in that's 200 dollars now okay cool we good like you go. your electric's back on we good we straight it, bro it's so much shit we could do out here to where like I feel like we make so many, we make things issues, uh, but this is crazy. It just took me back to a, a shroom trip I had one time. Mm -hmm. 
what is money? Like, why did we create money for real? I never understood what, because it causes so many problems, bro. Like, if we just did without money in society, would that solve? Would that solve a lot of the problems that we have? Would like that create more equality? I don't really know, but it was just one of the things that I always my my brain always comes back to. Like, what if I could just walk in the store and grab my oranges and apples and bread and bananas and be like, "All right, Mister Johnny, thanks for bagging my shit and going home." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what if it was just that simple? You feel me? Like, I'm I'm hungry. I need food. I'm not gonna take more than I need. I'm going to grab what, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I wonder why the world can't be like that. Like, what what made it at the very beginning to where somebody was like, okay, we need to set up capitalism. Like, somebody has to be food. There has to be a winner and a loser. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just odd that we set society up like that, you feel me? And then we upset about it. Like, well, we didn't do it, you know what I'm saying? It was It was set up many, many, many years ago, but... Why we ain't never said like, hey, bro, we don't have to play this game like it's no more for real. <laughs> it's a trip. If it wasn't money, it'd be some other kind of resources. You know, it would it'd be, be like in the Wild West. It'd be like, oh, dude's got like 15 <laughs> horses. Like he's the richest person in town. You know? yeah. So it's just it's always just about resources. But like you said, it's like it's all about winners and losers. That's it. And I think when there's such an outrage or a backlash to the Black Lives Matter movement from like white people that aren't committed to learning. Or I think it's because they think for so long they've been the winner and black people have been on the losing end of a lot of decisions and the way that history has gone down in this country. But they think that by the Black Lives Matter movement advancing mm-hmm. and this whole like all lives matter thing as a counter to the Black Lives Matter <laughs> thing is fucking ridiculous because it, it that's the whole thing. It's like no one's saying that all lives don't matter. It's just that these lives matter too when they previously haven't been treated like it. And if you start to do some of this stuff that is aimed towards righting some of these wrongs, white people are like, they're resistant to it because for so long they've benefited and they don't want somebody else to catch up. Yeah. Do you feel like people that you grew up with feel like it? Like they actually would honestly say that out loud? Not my family, like not my immediate parents, Mm. not my grandparents, my one grandma. Yeah. She's racist as fuck, (laughs) but she's, she's not like she's racist in the way that just like, She's an old Italian woman, mm-hmm. and she's racist in the way that all immigrants who came to America were low-key racist against other immigrants. They're like, like, oh, no, they're the Polish people, or they're the Jewish people. Yeah. Like, so she, she's always been a racist, and she's a very bigoted woman. <laughs> and she, I honestly think she would say something like that. Yeah. To me, I, I, to me, I can't understand it. Did I grow up with like those people that are hateful? No, not in my family. My grandma, she's, she, you know... She's a she's a different I I don't know how to I don't know how to I don't claim her, you know? Yeah. Like that's the part of the family that I, that I don't see or fuck with. So I I I but I did grow up like I did grow up around some of that bigotry, but to me like and some people that's the thing about like that I don't understand about it is like we talked earlier about people who are like 70 years old, right? And so they might be like hardcore racist till the day that they die. So just like go ahead and die, okay? Like take all that shit with you. 
the people who are our age that like sympathize with white nationalist stuff or that talk about like racist or that are anti-black lives matter that's when it's like well I don't understand that because I grew up sure I my grandma was a racist is a racist she's still alive god forbid but that didn't mean that I was like, oh, grandma, you got a great point. Like, yeah. to me, that was like, damn, my grandma's kind of fucked up. And it made me not want to be that. But other people, they learn those behaviors and those attitudes, and then they carry that on through a generation. So it's like, at what point does it end? You know, I, I hope it, as we continue to get older, like in our lifetime and our kids and their kids, eventually, hopefully it dies out. But the 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 reality is that a lot of this shit is, is trained, it's taught, it's learned. So it's trying to get people to unlearn that stuff. I think I answered your question. I hope I answered no, your you question. No, you did. No, no, you did. It's uh, Which is interesting for real, bro, because like, that is just silly stuff that pops up in my mind all the time. Like how I told you, like my dad used to tell me, shit, like, you got to try twice as hard because you're black. Well, I remember walking to the school bus one day and be like, my homie Baxter, bro. I remember walking to the bus stop and be like, <laughs> Baxter, does your mom ever tell you that you have to try half as hard because you're white? Like, stupid <laughs> shit like that just pops in my head, bro. And I think it's just because of the way I think, for real. But it, I've always wondered what those co- types of conversations are like, for real, bro. Because, like, you know, my granddad tells me all types of shit about, like, what white people have done to us to make us behind and if you like if you buy into that shit bro like you'll be mad at white people like i never would have met allies like i would have never been open to have these type of conversations or know that like that shit is educated and trained and that sometimes that you hear these things coming from a place of ignorance and if you just have these simple conversations Sometimes you see the look in somebody's eyes like, fuck, bro, I did not know that that's what any of that shit meant. Or, you know, like it took a whole lot of me being tolerable of a lot of bullshit and educating a lot of motherfuckers like along the way, like through words. Like I didn't have to whoop a lot of ass to make people understand or nothing like that. It's just they ain't no type shit. It's literally right. just ignorance type shit. Now you choose you choose to be that. I can be a whole different person. You feel me? Like yeah. if you choose to keep that going. All right, cool. But some people literally just ain't told these things in the house. So I always do, or people that I get comfortable with, I ask them, like, damn, but what was them conversations like at your house? And I've had friends be, bro, I got one friend that, like, is strictly on, like, a high and by Thanksgiving Christmas thing with his parents because they just didn't understand the Breonna Taylor shit. Like, they didn't get it. And it's... It's friends like that that I'm appreciative of that, like, they, man, fuck it, bro. I'll go to war with my parents about, like, what's right for humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that for him to have to go through that. But, like, that's the shit it's going to take, bro, is to people make them conscious decisions to, like, let people know, like, hey, bro, it's not cool. You feel me? Like, and it shouldn't just be about black shit. It's about, like, protecting women. Rape culture, you feel me? Like, fuck, uh, people was tripping about Asians in Atlanta, you know what I'm saying? It's it's humanity, bro. Like, yeah. it's not just about the color shit. It's a lot of shit that we have people, as people, have been doing wrong, you feel me? And it's a lot of shit that we gotta fix. But, it's so many different fires, bro. Like, 
man, you you stress yourself out, bro, just sitting there thinking about some of the shit for real. Like, how do you fix all of this besides just being a good dude? Like, just going out and genuinely being like straight from the heart, good person, like, and being open to learning. You know what I'm saying? Being open, like, uh, we, I, I just mentioned like rape culture and stuff like that. Like, you gotta tell your kids that no means no early and like it comes from shit like even just as far as we used to play grab ass in the hallway and shit like man somebody should have told us that's not cool little bro like yeah well you go to jail you you smack another ass in there <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> but what nobody telling us that shit you feel me it was just on some old uh man they're kids they're gonna be kids but like that ain't just boys being boys that's dangerous behavior bro that's how the world has a bunch of harvey weinsteins that grow up Facts. like those kids grow up into Facts. some monsters yeah real real deal predators out here bro and they and because it, it ain't nobody told them like that shit ain't no game, bro. That ain't how we play out here, for real, bro. Like, and now I got a daughter, you know what I'm saying? So let me catch some little boy just smacking on her ass in school, bro. <laughs> man, I will fight a kid. <laughs> we'll fight a kid, bro. But, like, you know, that's all jokes. That's jokes when you're in middle school, bro. I think the only way to continue to work on it is just to continue to have the conversations and continue to step up and and be willing to have those conversations as as exhausting as that can be to like have that conversation with the white friend or the person that's not really like picking up on it you know i know that's exhausting for you i'm sure but to keep having those conversations and then to keep encouraging allies and like you know that's like that's the thing is like i i try to do my part you know just because i think about and, and it's not like i i don't i don't do it because you know, a lot of people I think have gone, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of people have gone and leaned into this because like you hear about this, like, quote unquote, being woke. Right. Yeah. And sometimes people do do it for some recognition <laughs> and they want the pat on the back and be like, look how good of a white person I'm being like never, ever. Is it about any of that with me? I just think about yeah. what it's like having so many friends that I do that are black or Asian or Hispanic or gay or transgender or whoever. And just thinking if I was in a room and this person wasn't in here and somebody said something that was fucked up, would I say something? And for the last several years, I have been that person that's like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. <laughs> and you know, Ooh. some people, they aren't really worth that whole experience and that whole like let me break it down for you because you just know that they're never going to get it so it's best just to be like yo not cool around me not cool in general but definitely not cool around me please just don't fucking do that anymore or else i'm not gonna hang out with you anymore and i've let people slide just on that type of shit over the last couple of years and living in louisville and being as exposed to a lot of these conversations because it's happening right in our backyard with brianna and with black lives matter yeah and I do, I have so many people that I've either deleted off of Facebook or, you know, you asked about my family. So my grandma's an outlier. My family is really loving and tolerant in general. It's other families and other people that I think about that I did grow up around that's like picking up the American flag when it's Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. That's doing the Blue Lives Matter profile picture when we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And it's those people that I'm like, you know what? 
like they're not going to understand it and it's just going to continue to frustrate me and they're not willing to learn. So trying to have those conversations is only going to get so far and you're only going to exhaust yourself. It's important work to continue to do it. And especially so for me, like being white and talking about privilege, having these conversations with other people and in those rooms is important because at some point, like I'm sure you're exhausted. You need your allies to kind of pick up that pace and, and fight that fight a little bit too. So like, I'm willing to do those things. It's just, I think that the only way to continue to get to a better place is to sit down and have some really uncomfortable conversations and not feel cancellation if yeah. you say the wrong thing. Like early, that's why I'm like I'm, I'm even thinking right now, <laughs> going back to what I said about I think black people think like yeah. There's a lot of people that would be like that's very problematic, you know, which it is. I acknowledge that, but also sometimes how else am I supposed to express? what I think someone else is thinking yeah. or what I'm seeing without it being like a case study that we're going to take and be like, well, he doesn't get it because he's white and he's privileged. And like, no, I'm, I either get it or I'm really, really trying to get it. And then I'm trying to share that information with other people. And I think that's what you do. I think that's doing your part, you yeah. know? And I think, I think it's taking local leadership. I think doing what you do is so cool because you're doing that in your own community. Like you're showing these kids like fuck what young boys talking about i'm a fucking dad i got three kids i got a business yeah like i'm on my shit i'm coaching and i'm really trying to reach these kids and that's important you know i think about what you're providing is something that they might not have because you might not have that growing up like i know kids in prospect or oldham county that also might not have that person to bring them under their wing or, or to yeah. coach them up and like show them the way yeah so I, I, my whole point in all of this was just that I think what you're doing is really cool because you're showing these kids how to be. And if they grow up in a system that discards their older father figures or their positive male role models, and maybe they don't have as many to look up to, you're being that for so many of those kids. Yeah. And that's the way to make a difference. Like local leadership, like that is the real deal on the ground, boots on the ground, way to make a difference. And that's that's what it is. That's the saying too. You gotta strap your boots on every day and you really gotta hit you gotta beat the street down, bro. Like you can't just you can't just sit up in your office and and, and we not and move pieces, you feel me? Like it's not it's not a it's not a game board. It's not puppeteering, you feel me? This shit is really like a hands on if you wanna make a difference in the world, you really gotta get muddy, bro. You gotta get off in this shit for real. You can't it's not just from sending checks and sending donations and nothing. It's really about that time. Like that time investment that you put off in the, your community is the best changes you can make for real. Because at the end of the day, like not saying that when things start trending and when hashtags go viral and stuff, that that's not important because to some extent it is because it's like raising the awareness and the visibility mm -hmm. of some of that stuff. And now we're having these conversations more and more. But at the end of the day, bro, it's a hashtag. <laughs> like, you want to be a keyboard warrior over yeah. here, but the first time that somebody's confronted with that real opportunity to have that conversation, whether it's standing in line at Kroger or in an Uber or with their friend, you know, it's like they don't actually know how to engage in that dialogue. I can't think of a hashtag that's ever saved my life. 
I was just sitting here thinking like, damn, is there any hashtags that's like really important to me and it's not? Nah, that's I want. That's silly, bro. Why do we do it? Why do we do uh, hashtags? Virtue signaling a lot of it. <laughs> the same, you know. I was having this conversation with somebody in the Uber earlier today. Uh, we were talking about Ukraine, and then we were talking about the same people that had gone from the uh, the the people that were posting all the stuff about COVID, and that that their identity got really wrapped up in masking and vaccines and they use the profile pictures that's like mask up or get vax and all that stuff mm-hmm. they've now changed all of their pictures to a bunch of stand with ukraine stuff and i guarantee a lot of those people would be the same motherfuckers that if we went back to 2012 would be the people that were hollering about stop coney stop coney yeah i remember that shit um whatever happened to coney bro didn't they like execute him or something Twitter stopped him apparently no I'm just oh, I, I don't know I don't know what actually happened to him we'll have to go back and look we're gonna have to but I guarantee it wasn't because of hashtag I mean may, maybe but no. like somebody strapped their boots on and went down there and was like hey little bro cut that out yeah cut that out no I don't know I don't know what I don't know what a hashtag ever, ever did for anybody it's tough because I see people doing it, and I on one hand I'm like, okay, they're tr- they're trying, they're like they're trying to engage in the dialogue, they're trying to show their support, they're trying to do their part, but that's kind of where it stops. Like some people just think that that's that's <laughs> where it stops. It's like, okay, now I, I use the hashtag, now where's my pat on the back? But you got to continue to have these types of conversations. You got to continue to show up and show support and if people are protesting like go find out why you know don't just dismiss it and be like well no actually it's about this and what about this and sh- and, and it's like it's not what we're talking about man oh uh, man i like to shout out uh a homie i met uh when i was protesting i man solo went out totally by myself with a sign in the middle of norton commons one day and uh posted up and protested and it it said uh it was george floyd's last words like please help me they're gonna kill me i can't remember what all exactly it said now but i remember holding the sign up or whatever and um guy pulls up on his golf cart and i at this point had received some like aggression from people over there so at this point i'm kind of like on edge Mm mm-hmm and the guy pulls up on a golf cart, and he's like, hey, man, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, talk. But I never looked at him. And he, you know, he starts talking. He's like, well, hey, you know, my name is Brandon. And, uh, you know, I see what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, so? And I, now I'm giving him, like, this tough guy act, but I'm kind of hearing his tone, and I'm like, something's up. And he's like, well, first, can I, like, bring you any water or anything? It was hot as fuck that day. I remember that. And he was like, I was like, shit. All right, yeah, go ahead. But I never looked down at him. So he brings the water by, and he's like, man, come sit on the golf cart with me. And I'm like, all right. I'll go ahead and give in. Like, what's up with this dude? And, uh, man, dope, great experience, awesome conversation. Bro works, uh. I ain't gonna give his whole info up, but he works. He works with kids, and he he's a difference maker. He's a, he's a real earth shaker for real, bro. Great dude, 
great, awesome guy, but we had, um, that experience to me was a life-changing experience just because of the aggression that I had received earlier that day and just so much stuff was going on and just the personal feeling of, like, watching what Kenneth Walker went through in that apartment and just feeling like, damn, bro, that could have been me type shit. And, like, just that whole feeling of for that whole, like, first week of, like, knowing what happened in that apartment. And I've I've been in them apartments before, like, I know people that personally know them like they, you know what I'm saying? They graduated our, our year from high school and stuff like that. So, you know, that's, that's a close situation. That's real. That ain't nothing just, we just seen on the news. Like right. that's just really real. So like that conversation that I had with Brandon out there in Norton Commons brought me down from a, from a level to where I felt like the world was crashing. It was a, that was a, a total stranger to me, but I've I've could feel the ally in him. You feel me? I could feel that he was trying to understand. He was trying, for one, to provide comfort. You feel me? Uh, in a situation that he, you know, he didn't do. Like it wasn't him. You feel me? But he could see he could see me hurting, and he uh, chose to stop his day. You feel me? And but that man got a wife and a beautiful baby at home. You feel me? But he still chose to sit out with me in that heat and. We we had that conversation and it was dope. Him and another guy named Jack. Uh Jack came through and they stopped by both of them dudes. We still friends on Facebook. I keep up with both of them, you feel me? Like and I linked in with Brandon uh, uh actually I linked in with Brandon and he told me that one of my high school teachers was his next door neighbor. So I can't wait to link up with them again when it gets warm and kick it, share old stories and stuff like that. But super great experience I got from protesting uh in an area probably where I had no business doing that shit for real, but it it, it turned out to be a, a great experience though. That's good. Well, it warms my heart to know that you had that positive experience, and just like, you know, I think for I say this and I mean this, I'm not the bad guy. You know? <laughs> I know I'm white. I'm very beautiful. I'm very privileged, but I'm not the bad guy. No, right? it never made me feel like it either, bro. But. But like when I sometimes if I log on to Twitter or sometimes when I watch the news, it's like, okay, well, all white people are the oppressor. Like, how could you be friends with this person? Like, what does he really have to say or think? Like, who gives a fuck? You know, And, and that kind of stuff is like, no, but like there's me's in the world. There's Brandon's of the world. Yeah. And I think sometimes like watching all the events go down, the media has pitted whether it's whether it's race or the vaccines or who you voted for or like the Trump stuff it's like <laughs> it's like boom boom like you're either this or that and sometimes i feel like i'm like i wish i had a sign on my chest that was like i'm not your enemy you know like yeah. i, I cuz and because i think sometimes and it's unique because i i've had so many exchanges with just random people and random black people being an uber driver and picking people up from all over the city and sometimes i can almost sense a hesitancy to be like wait a second like this is like a white dude you know like what wait why do why do i want to be friends with them now like why why are we vibing (laughs) like i didn't think it was you know and it's like no like there's still plenty of me and brandon's out there in the world yeah it is but it's funny um 
there's a guy that lives in this neighborhood. His name's Tim Schladen. He's been on the show a couple times. Coolest dude. He's like probably in his 50s or 60s, maybe 60s, married to a black woman. And just he's a licensed clinical social worker. So he leads like men's groups. And him and his wife and a group of people organized a lot of protests every single Friday. They'd be, they used to be out here in Prospect. And after Brianna happened, and then after, like, at some point during the quarantine, like, I don't know when they got out there, but basically for, like, an, almost two years, they were out there every single Friday holding up signs. And he told me, like, he's on this show on tape talking about simply our presence being at the corner of that Walgreens in Prospect. The shit that people would yell at us, the shit that people <laughs> would yell stuff. at my wife, throwing things, flicking us off, and and it's and it's simply like, what does that tell you, you know? But if our presence and us holding up a sign that says that Black Lives Matter means that much to you, where you want to throw a cup of coffee out or flick me off or say fuck you or yell death threats or racist shit, yeah, what does that say? Uneducated. Just uneducated, bro. That's really all I... And that's all I ever feel when I see stuff like that. Like, damn, boy, you stupid as hell. But, you know. And so, as a black person, how do you not kind of get your guard up when that's almost what you're expecting? So, when that dude pulls up on the golf cart, you're like, oh, man, what is this dude about to say? What is this well, dude about to stop, do? Though. Brandon, Brandon had flavor, though, bro. He pulled up with Yeezys. And I feel like he had a speaker on his his golf cart, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, that's pretty. Like, cool. I was like, shit. I, but, I see your Yeezys, but I'm not gonna look at you at first. That's like, <laughs> but but you have that guard up almost, yeah. right? Like a defense. And and how could you not? Yeah, you know. But, but that's why it's encouraging to me to know that like that ended up going well, and that you know, we can have the relationship that we have, and that you probably have some of that with other people as well too yeah i got a couple a couple guys i got a couple guys we grew up grew up together we played high school football together but all different backgrounds all different experiences and that's one of the kind of the again going back on male high school but that's one of the beautiful experiences of it for real you're not in private school or nothing so should we all in here broke you feel me it's all public school education and Everybody, mama and dad go to work in here, and you feel me? And it's different backgrounds, but it's similar in a lot of ways. So, like, it was cool going on the weekends, going to, like, our buddy's house and being like, shit, this is just like the crib, you feel me? Y'all got two things of cereal and some ramen noodles in here. We in here kicking it, like, but it's just good times, though, like, good vibes. So. It, that was a great experience, honestly. And a lot of those dudes on that other side, too, like, successful as well. Contractors and chefs and all types of stuff, bro. Like, it's just an awesome network over there. 10 out of 10 experience. I recommend it for anybody, bro. Like, uh, hey, bro, it's super dope. I just thought about it and just realized today is uh my homie Big B. 
it, it's his birthday. You feel me? He passed away last. Braxton. Uh, yeah, but it's Braxton's birthday today, Damn. and like that was his dream to do like podcasts and shit. So, bro, crazy. I'm recording. Like, no way. Yeah, bro. It's like it's crazy. I'm recording like my first podcast here with you. Oh my you feel God. me? Like on his birthday, bro. That's sick. Like so, his first birthday since his passing last year, bro. Yeah, that's crazy. That's. Odd, odd timing, bro. Like, I got goosebumps right yeah, now. Yeah, the world works in crazy, amazing ways, bro. Like, this, this was, like, his shit, bro. He introduced me to, like, Drink Champs and all the Joe Budden shit and shit, even Breakfast Club, you feel me? Like, I know about that shit because B would always put that shit in front of my face. Like, here, watch this, bro. This is, this is what we're going to do. You know, we stayed friends on Snapchat and Instagram. <laughs> Ever since we, because that's how we connected was through you. Yeah. And then we stayed friends as many people as I've deleted off my social media channels. He was one that I always kept up with and would like, you know, every now and then just slide in the DMs or whatever. And I remember, I think it was probably, I saw it on your stuff. I saw some, I knew that he had passed away because I saw some of the posts and just, was like damn man like that that fucking sucks but just to hear that come full circle and i mean that's a goosebumps moment man mad love to braxton i hope he's in a better place no he's in a better place man i miss my guy a ton bro that big green truck you feel me man riding around the city beating the city down and we stop at every damn store and braxton gonna run up a 20 dollar tab bro he was gonna (laughs) hey he was gonna fuck it up bro that was my guy and he loved him some Ben Tompkins for sure, but he's always on. He was always asking about you. He's good people. Always, yeah, man. That's my guy. That's really dope, bro. He got me in here on his birthday for real. Damn. Well, happy birthday to Brax. Yeah, man. All right, man. Well, at this point, this is usually where we start to wrap up, and I ask people, give me your realest talk. Give me a mantra that sticks with you. Give me the truest thing that you've learned about life or business or people. Just whatever comes to mind, just rip. Hey, my homie uh, Skrilla Scruggs told me when we was in barber school, bro, treat this shit like a sport. And uh, I've been treating every day like a sport lately, bro. Like, it's one of the things that I grew up doing. It's one of the things I'm, I'm passionate about still to this day is just sports, whether it's watching sports, coaching sports, playing sports. If you just treat the game of life like a sport, man, you can get ahead, bro. You just got to keep that competitive edge. Add something new to your game every day, you feel me? And just always learn learn something from, from the greats, you know? It's people out here that's winning, bro. Take something from their game. Become a champion. Spoken like a true champion right there. Tyler Pope, thank you so much, man. Yes, sir. Thanks, man, bro. Appreciate you. I love, brother. Love you. Love you too, man. All right, guys. How'd you like that one? Pretty good, huh? Worth the wait. Definitely worth the wait, man. Mad love and respect to my guy, Pope, for coming through, sharing everything that he did. That can be difficult, you know, that that can be tough. We're talking about things that have no doubt created trauma and anxiety and depression and negative feelings in people and in him and in me and just in general, man, in society. We're watching people... You know, after this and as I'm going through and creating the show notes and everything, I went back and watched one of the videos that he referenced of Philando Castile and it made me fucking cry, man. I mean, it's just, it's senseless. You don't know when it's going to end. I pray to God that this happens less and less and less and just we 
we figure out a way how to come together and make it better, man, because it's something's got to change. Something's got to change, man. And um, I feel for my friends every time something like that happens, I just know how much it hurts them and and how much that in turn hurts me seeing the people that I love get hurt over and over and over again. You know, it's, it's fucked up, man. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And uh, I don't know. I... I want to do more, I want to listen more, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, I want to bring people together, not push them away, and try to take away some of the pain and contribute to the healing, because God, man, we need it, we need it in this country, we need it in this country, so I don't know if I succeeded in doing that in this episode, it's not something that's going to be done in just a couple of hours. But I think over time, continuing to have these discussions, showing up to the protests, doing your part, whatever that looks like, you know, if it's donating, great. If it's showing up and and marching or demonstrating, you're a body there, great. Get involved. Don't just sit back and be part of the problem, man. Take action, you know. If you see bullshit, call out bullshit. It's time. It's just time, man. So be an ally and do your fucking part. How about that? We good? Everybody good on that? Okay. Because I'm really tired of having my friends have their hearts broken every time a new video surfaces every four to six months. And we have to go through all of this shit again. Have these conversations with the people that you love. Have these conversations with the people that you know need to hear this shit. Send this to them. And maybe they'll start to understand it. You know, that's my whole, I mean, I learned about when we're talking about microaggressions and learning about the way that the dress codes are set up. I mean, that makes so much sense to me. Why, you know, what he was saying about two inches, man, two inches vertical or two inches flopped out like a shaggy white boy, you know, like, wow, that's kind of fucked up. And there's so many instances of that happening. And we're just now starting to peel those layers back and address these things and it's great it can be uncomfortable but i think sacrificing some comfort if it is for the greater good is a good thing you know what i mean like that's gonna mean that some little boy or girl feels more welcomed or or seen or accepted and they have not that they need permission, but that they have permission to be themselves, you know? That it's okay to look like them or talk like them. Or... That's what's important, man. So, this was a, a heavy episode, but again, one of my favorites. And um, really, really thankful for Pope for coming over and diving deep into this stuff. I know it's not easy, but that's why I love that guy, man. Because we always keep it real. That's my OG right there, baby. <laughs> All right, guys, I am back next week. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.